Welcome to the 17th episode of Friday Nightmares Podcast. I am one half of your hungover hosting team this evening, <laughs> Heather Powell, coming to you from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And joining me is... Also hungover, but uh, this is Moke Show Crawford coming, from <laughs> you, coming to you from Swartz Creek, Michigan. And well, my God, did we uh, throw them back last night? You know, I don't know what you're talking about, Scott. I live a clean life. Last night, I did my yoga, and I drank <laughs> my veggie protein smoothie. Ate your kale chips? Ate my kale chips, and then <laughs> went to bed at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night, just yes. so I could savor the sunrise on Sunday morning. Um, we record via video. We don't post it, but... Scott and I recorded it just so we can see each other's reactions. And I'm looking at my face and my eyes tell a different story than what I just came <laughs> out of my mouth. <laughs> Those do not look like the eyes of somebody who went to bed at eight o'clock after having a veggie smoothie. And <laughs> no, they do not. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if the, a lot of you will probably know just from our, uh, videos last night we shared quite a bit on our podcast page and it was pretty much uh canada uh ontario canada versus um michigan and good lord we i think we both made the mutual mutual mistake of challenging each other because it just kept going all night long and and we like things that go all night long we do um, and of course <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast it's going to be a week later so if you go back to the weekend of september 19th um <laughs> you'll see in our page the videos that scott is referring to um uh, we both had separate events my friend's birthday uh, was going on on saturday night and a good friend came down from ottawa same friend that came down in the summer if you recall my tequila and wine adventures on a Sunday night, uh, this yep. time I was a little more responsible. I blew it up on a Friday and a Saturday. So the Friday I blew it up, Scott had other plans. Um, so he wasn't blowing it up as much as I was on Friday. But then Saturday he was hanging out with... Our good friend Adam Thomas from the Double Edge Double Bill. Uh, my Basically my... Uh, brother-in-arms who loves to get me wasted. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys are pretty much brother-in-arms. And uh, we had joked about, I had said to Scott, you know, maybe I'll video you later. And we're part of this group called Chug Mason. Yeah, Chug's now. Mansion. Mansion. So I had arrived at my girlfriend's house at about 6.30. And by the time these boys challenged me, I was already like two drinks in. And so I drank the drink and then I, I had all my bitches with me and I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I smack talked Scott? Because really like Adam was like there and I kind of smack talked him a little bit, but it was really geared towards Scott. Yeah. Um, no one else, just Scott. And uh, I, I did, you'll see the video. Well, of course I uh, responded, but these two boys felt like I was, you know, cutting off their dicks. So they had to respond back. And it was just a night of like fucking getting hammered and like posting videos as we got progressively and progressively drunker. But you stayed in. You guys didn't go out anywhere, right? You were just. Yeah, we were just chilling at his place. 
So we went out, so this is where my story comes in. So as we all know, it's COVID-19. Um, in Ontario, we are still able to go out to restaurants and stuff. We have dropped down our uh, number of people that are allowed in indoor gatherings that are like not a restaurant, but like social gatherings and outdoors. But you can still take cabs and stuff. And since all uh, six of us last night were extremely intoxicated and on other substances as well, um, we had to get a cab. So I got on my phone and I got my app and I ordered a six person cab. Cab comes. Sorry, we only take five people. And I'm like, but the app says six. They're like, yeah, but COVID-19, no one can sit up in the front. I said, well, that's fine. But your app says six. And it's my girlfriend's birthday, right? So like, I didn't want to end the night. So I just threw four of my friends in the cab and one other girl stayed around with, stayed with me and I had to order another cab. Well, it oh, turns geez. out the bar that we were going to go to that the ca first cab dropped my friends off at was fucking closed. <sighs> so we had, so me and this other chick fucking downed another drink before our cab came. <laughs> uh -huh. oh, so we're like, lit and she's she's talking all this like 50 shades of gray sex shit in the back seat of the truck or car cab that she's doing with her current friend or whatever partner and like i'm pretty sure the cab driver was like how long is this car ride either he was really into the talk or he was like i can't wait to get these chicks out of my car um <laughs> long story short we walked around all over the place and then eventually we found a bar and they put us outside at first beside this couple that was on a first date and we were all fucking lit like i'm sure if they were serving us they were like thank god they're ordering food because we were just hammed and that's when the uh, tequila shots video happened if, uh, <laughs> if people haven't had a chance to watch me do tequila like a like a bitch it's on there um and yeah and then the night went on onwards with scott and i and at one point I didn't post this to our page, but I'll talk about it. <laughs> I got my girlfriend. I said, okay, we're going to like get Scott really bad. So I started the video and I said, okay, when I'm going to turn to you and say, what is Scott? You're going to say, he's a bitch. And I started off the video with, oh, what is, you know, it's so funny. And what is Scott again? And she goes, he's a bitch. <laughs> I haven't shared it. If Scott's okay, I may share it. Um, I'm yeah, I am completely decide. fine with you sharing okay. it. Okay, because that I was hilarious. Let me share it when we release this episode, then, so people can hear it and then see it. Um, it was really, really funny, and Scott's such a good sport. But I didn't share that on our page originally because I wanted his consent. Because I am calling, <laughs> or my friends calling him a bitch, so I figured I should at least double check with them before I just send that. <laughs> right, which I appreciate, but oh my god, like that was we started literally world war three amongst ourselves because you and i were joking about it this morning and i said you know i woke up and told adam i'm like I think last night i made the mistake of challenging heather i did not know it was gonna go as long as it did like uh, back and forth between us and then you're even just like i think it was a mutual mistake because we just kept just just kept talking more shit and drinking more See, and challenging i don't think it was a mistake at all i thought it made my night to be honest with you it, was it like made it fun not only was I drinking with my Canadian ladies, I was I was drinking with two of my favorite Americans. Right, exactly. So, you it know, was... I I liked it personally. Oh, same here. Like it was more or least joking, like mistake, because it's like, oh, holy shit, we drank a lot. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was just a blast. It was it was like we were hanging out without being able to hang out. You know, though, I just can't wait to do it again. Yeah, we will do this again. I, I, this is going to be like an ongoing thing for us, I have a feeling. You know what? And I, I am such a bad influence. So my friend from Ottawa, her birthday is November 14th. And we're thinking of going up there and getting an Airbnb 
and just doing the whole shit again up in Ottawa. Um, you get you ladies are wild. You know, well, and it's me. I'm the bad influence. Like I have no problem. And my friend Amber can be a bad influence too if she's listening. Sometimes she listens to this podcast. She's she's pretty badass too. Um, but yeah, like it it was it was sick. Like and I and she had a good birthday and it was anyway. It worked out really well. And even the cat thing wasn't that big of a deal, right? Like who cares? We all got there eventually. Um, yeah, it was so much fun. And work's been crazy for me. I've been barely watching any 2020s. I I think I've watched half of the ones that you have here on the list you've watched more than i have like a lot more yeah. i think yeah and i think uh because you you had gotten ahead of me and i think i ended up getting ahead of you again yeah and i've given up that so, by the way scott's the only one that cares about this anymore scott seems to really care who's ahead of who and i'm just trying to oh, i don't well, i don't really make care it week I just... to week with my liver okay my really clean lifestyle <laughs> scott uh, my kale chips and my veggie smoothies i'm you know, I'm just really trying to be one with me. And you work so on are me as a person. <laughs> you so are like a, you. You live that healthy, innocent lifestyle. I like I'm a role model. You know. You are. You are like the rock star role model. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you literally oh, uh, your your pound and Powell nickname was definitely taken on last night. Man, and like even this weekend, because my friend from Ottawa just split up with her husband, and it was a really shitty marriage, shitty situation. And I was talking to her all about non-monogamy and like fucking like, oh man, like I was just like, like yeah, bang whoever you want. Who do you want to bang tonight? We, I was joking that we were going cock hunting, and I sent a picture of like me chasing chickens to somebody, and it was really funny. Um, but it's yeah, you know, like I, you only live once, and I'm all about having a good time. And uh, if any of our listeners ever come to Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, or hell, I, once borders open, I got a passport still. If I'm ever in your neck of woods, we'll, uh, we'll get together. We'll have a good night. Yeah, exactly. Like, same here. Like, you know, I'm all about meeting everybody. I'm more fun than Scott. Oh. <laughs> really, though, if we're <laughs> honest. If we're honest. I mean, you do live a little more of an exciting life. <laughs> but I will say, when I do get with my friends, we usually throw it throw it back pretty good you do and you're a very happy drunk too you're always yeah. like you look like a little sailor that's just like <laughs> a little joyful sailor? and happy you know what i don't think i think i've only seen you sad maybe once or twice like you actually are a pretty easy um easy going relaxed person with yeah, or without I, substances yeah i'm just naturally like a positive happy person like it takes a lot to bring me down like you know and when i do get down i get down pretty hard because it doesn't happen very often you hear that guys he goes down and he i go goes down down, hard. down down and i don't have to breathe that's right how i'm sorry scott what's one of your talents how long you can hold your breath a long time yeah <laughs> you know you it. hear that ladies <laughs> very few gentlemen out there that can hold their breath as long as Mr. Crawford, apparently. So <laughs> he's turning red now. He's all like, Weather, what are you doing? He's wearing his kilt cat shirt. He's almost the same color as it. Me, on the other hand, is still look pale and like a zombie that came back from the fucking grave last night. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I look like a freaking vampire right now. I am pale as hell. <laughs> you actually do look like a vampire. Oh, is that what happened last night? Oh, yeah. I wonder did I include my little vampire movie on here? I don't think I did. I'm gonna have to type that on while you're while you're talking away. I actually do want to talk about that one. Okay, why don't you talk about your first 2020 watch while I find this name of this random vampire movie I watched? Um, All so right, include it. Well, 
this is going to be the one movie on here that I will pretty much say avoid. And that is Archaeon, the Halloween Summoning from 2020. Uh, this is pretty much, I was hoping it, like, the, I want to say the cover looked freaking cool. Like, it has this really cool looking monster on it and everything. And I'm like, okay, this could be good, decent. And it's a Halloween movie. Well, it is very low budget. The acting is uh, pretty painful. I mean, it's not awful, awful, but it's pretty painful. And it's about this uh, guy that's getting ready for a throwing a Halloween party, and he goes and uh, ends up getting this Irish, or not Irish, uh, Celtic mask that was used during the Samhain uh, ceremonies back in the day. And whenever they put the mask on, it trans trans makes them disappear from their world and transports him to a different world. Gosh, and there is so a monster original. there. Yeah. Pretty sure <laughs> and, I've never, ever seen that plot in any other movie. <clears throat> well, I see him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, as you were saying. Um, and it just was funny because, like, I think they were supposed to be, like, high schoolers or something like that, but these people looked our age. and <laughs> They were Scott and I last name. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, like, worried about throwing a party at their parents' house and shit like that. And, it's and like, now we'd be worried about throwing a party and people not going home. Or yeah. drinking all our booze. Right. But yeah, this was just all around just kind of boring. Didn't even have a feel of Halloween to it at all. And yeah, this is just one I would just say, don't bother with. You know, I appreciate the fact that you kind of took one for the team here, Scott. It's like we went to a party together and um, you drank the shitty booze while I got top shelf. <laughs> Pretty I much. Really, and, <laughs> I was like, really I really appreciate that. Because I think you were going to check this one out, too, originally, until I watched it first. Just thinking about it, but I'm getting more picky. Apparently not with my drinking, because let me tell you, <laughs> as I go back to that, you're right. I talk about it a lot on this podcast. Um, but we get listeners, so I don't know. Maybe people like hearing about it. So, like, I've had more shots this summer than I've had in the past 15 years. Oh, my gosh, Really? Every night I've gone, well, not every night I've gone out. Let's make this clear. I don't go out to the bar to do shots every weekend. Like I go out with my parents to the bar and like, we'll have some drinks and stuff. But like when I go out with my friends and I'm taking a cab home, like I'm, I'm going to party. Yeah. And you already have it planned in your head that you're like, I'm already like pre-gaming the shots I'm going to order. And I've been drinking fucking tequila. Like it's going out of style and I suck at it. Everyone can see the video. I looked like I was going to fucking vomit. Everyone else took tequila, tequila like a champ and I took it like I drank turpentine. I know you so, were like, so cute. Like so, so cute. I, I, I almost wanted to talk shit about that. Cute. Sorry. Oh, it was, it was so cute. It was like, it was like a youngling just finally tasting wasn't pure it? liquor. Wasn't it? Like it it really looked, and you know why I think that is? Is because when I was 17 years old, I did 21 shots of tequila in a half an hour. Oh my god! Yeah, and I probably probably should have gone to the hospital and my stomach pumped. But because I was so drunk, my my best friend and my other good buddy had to put me to bed with like a vomit bucket. Yeah, I couldn't bad. even see. That is bad. It, it was bad. Um, not 21. Was it? Sorry, 11. Fuck, here I am thinking that I did a lot more than I did. I think it was 11. Oh, God, it was Still. so long ago. It was a lot in a half an hour. It was probably 11. 21, I probably would have been dead. Yeah, um, I was, that's what I was going to say. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, so anyway, bottom line is, I think that's always stayed with me. And now I'm like trying to redeem myself at fucking 37 years old. Um, yeah, and I just look like a bitch. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I think the next time I uh, have to party, like, or we do these video uh, challenges against each other. So next weekend, to, yes. <laughs> I will have to, I will have to show, show you how a Michigander does a tequila shot. Oh, is that water? Ooh. <laughs> oh, already with the shit talk. Continue. <laughs> Sorry, you just live near Flint. I just assumed <laughs> the I water mean, there is worse than any elder alcohol you can have. I was just going to say, I guess if you took a shot of Flint water, you might get a pretty damn good buzz. <laughs> I remember when I came to see you, I asked you if the water was okay. Yeah. You remember that? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame you. I'm only like 10 minutes away from Flint, so. You're like, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> I think I was like, so do you have a Brita? <laughs> or do we just drink from the top? Like, I think I tried to do it, like, in a polite way without being like, look, dude, I, I saw the fucking documentary. Like, <laughs> what's the water situation here? <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, the water has a nice crunch to it. <laughs> That's good for you, right? Nom, 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 nom in my tum tum. <laughs> Nummy in my tummy, Heather. That's really funny from our last episode. That was really good, actually. Um, oh. So the next movie I'm going to talk about, like, <laughs> tells you how like hungover I am. I forgot that I watched this one, and I actually really liked it. Is Vampire Virus, which is what I think happened to Scott last night. Um, <laughs> It's a good little 2020 film. It kind of is like a soft poor porn. There's, um, for everyone who enjoys sexy women being sexy, there's a very sexy a um, lesbian sex scene that is included Ooh. in the film. Um, it's pretty graphic, to be honest with you. Wow. Um, I wouldn't recommend watching it at work, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 because I, I had a feeling when you were talking about this movie yeah. to me, I was like, uh, this one I'll wait and maybe watch this at home. Like, you know, with some hand lotion and stuff right like i'm just going um, raw Are you kidding me going in raw. i like the pain um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it's good it's uh it's it's kind of like i got to the end of it and i was like oh i get it there's a message here about the lgbtq community um and that was fine like it, it wasn't an overly political message which is clearly why it's not in my top 10 because we all know that if it had an overly politically an overly political message It'll be that would have been one. top ten. It'd have been number one. Like what? That's all I need for a movie to be good. Um, so, but it was definitely enjoyable. Um, I can't remember where I watched it though. Our good friends Plex. Was it on Plex? So let me. I, I I believe it's on Google for rent and Amazon for rent as well. And I would say, yeah, definitely check it out if you dig vampire films. Um, if you liked, I would say it's a softer version of Bliss. It's not oh, okay. as it's not as um, soft as the one that we watched earlier this year about the young women who have like, like the vampire gang. Oh, uh, but bit. yes, but it's a little bit like it's kind of in between that. It it really is. It's it's definitely enjoyable, and I would I would definitely recommend checking it out. Nice. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will probably watch this one at home sometime this week. Um, yeah, I guess we both watched this one if I remember correctly. The Voices. That, yep, The Voices yes. from 2020. Uh, this one can be found on Prime. Um, but, wow, this was like a pretty cool uh, kind of sad story. Like, it was yeah. about this uh, these estranged sisters that uh, met back up, and one of them has, I think it was uh, ongoing uh, schizophrenia. And so the uh, the other sister is just kind of trying to help her around the house and everything, and things just kind of uh, amp up from there. But man, the performances between these two were really, really well done. And 
I gotta say they handled the schizophrenia pretty well from what I can tell. That's the best way I've seen mental illness handled in a horror movie to date. Yes. And I know that there's people out there that love The Lodge and I understand that. I did not think it was handled well in The Lodge. Um, I'm not saying The Lodge is a bad movie. I just don't like how it was presented. I think this presented a much more a-realistic version of it. Yes. um, And did it a little bit classier, if that's the best word to use, for my taste, yet again. For my yeah, because it wasn't taste. exploitive. It wasn't exploited, and it was used in relevancy, and there were twists in this movie that you didn't see coming. Um, yeah. And questions that you had throughout it to a point where you're like, is this even real? Like, what's real, what's not real? Like, that to me, it makes it a good film. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I felt about this. Like, I was pretty much glued to the screen. This was a very, very well done and one of the uh, the main woman, um, um, Grace, she was in Patchwork. Was she really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. She was. Yeah. yeah. And Lynn Shea is in it as well. Yep. It's actually a very, very small cast. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's almost like an isolated film. Yes, very much so. Uh, and then, do you want to take this? Because I know you haven't talked about it on the show yet. Like, and we both watched it now. No, you watched it recently. You go ahead. All right. So the next one that we're going to talk about is Werewolf from 2020. And this one is about, I think it's a Russian film. And it's about these uh, orphaned kids. I would, I, that's the best like way I could describe it as orphaned kids during like a. Well, they're, they're Jewish kids that were. Yeah. Yes. Kept in internment, like Nazi camps, and they've escaped. And they're trying to escape from, well, or they're in this like rundown house or school, and they're basically being hunted by these wolves that were trained to kill people that are Jewish. Yes. Thank right. you. Yeah. Because it was, yeah, this was a very, very good film. Uh, at first, I was going, I'm like, I don't know, besides like the realistic horrors of like the internment camps and all that stuff, I'm like, I didn't know if this was going to be really a horror film or not. Just thought it was going to be like a really good movie. But nope, there's definitely some horror here. It is, it, I don't know, the kids reminded me of the kids in the uh, uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that type of camaraderie, like it just like yes. the way things, uh, they, they deal with everything. That's kind of how this reminded they, me. They build like a little commune that allows them to survive. Yes. And I think that's really important um, in terms of how the story plays out. It is a creature feature more than anything else because of the wolves. Yeah. You know, and the wolves are not werewolves. Nope, they're just they're regular. regular. Just regular wolves um, who are so cute. Yeah, they are. Oh with their God, little fluffy tails. <laughs> um, which was not their goal. I'm sure they'd be quite insulted if I went on how cute they are. Um but it's it's a very well acted film. It's a subtitled film, uh, but definitely one of the better films I've seen this year, just from the character um, development standpoint and the way that it does the slow building of of the plot and makes you invested in what happens to these kids. Yes, I was like, because I think this is in my top twenty. It's good that you're finally getting some good taste. Oh, you are such a smart ass. And uh, we forgot. I don't know if we mentioned that you can find the voices on Google Play, YouTube. Tubi. Oh, yeah. Voice, the Voices is also on Tubi, which I'm surprised because sometimes shitty stuff goes to Tubi, but you can watch this for free. Yeah, um, well, it's on Amazon Prime as well. And Amazon Prime as well. So, which is a pretty good deal. And Werewolf, I don't know if that's been released yet. Hold on, let me check. 
Yeah, because I was just getting ready to look into that because I'm not sure. We... No, I don't see it listed on here, which means that our uh, good friend Plex got it through other means. So when that does become available, I would definitely recommend for people to check it out. Yeah, because this was a very, very good movie. Uh, damn, I guess the next one is also mine too. Yeah, this is good. you're doing the heavy lifting for uh, once. For once. <laughs> Smart ass. Uh, so the next one uh, is... The Babysitter, Killer Queen on Netflix, which is... She's a killer queen. queen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is uh, the sequel to The Babysitter that starred Samara Weaving. And that was that was one of my uh, favorites of the year as like a just entertaining, funny horror film. And yep, this one, uh, a lot of the cast is back. Uh, and it's pretty much about the kid from the first one uh, going to high school instead of being a little kid anymore. He go, he's going to high school and he's just kind of dealing with everything that happened in the first film and then well he somehow gets pulled back into it again because these uh cultists want to kill him for because he's a virgin and drink his blood and become get pretty much everything they've always wanted and they are just like the most uh bumbling idiot style uh cultists and it is just so over the top funny like it's just so ridiculous compared to the first one would you oh. say it's up there yeah it's like especially like the comedy and everything is the exact same like they've pretty much just uh made a sequel that i would say is right up there with the first one no i know this is going on a 10 because i haven't seen the first one and i haven't seen the sequel um but is it kind of like how happy death day was one way and then happy death day 2 was another because, like, um, Happy Death Day 2 is a little science fiction-y. Yeah, because I've never seen Happy Death Day 2, but I know what happened in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, uh, no, like, they, they pretty much, it's like, this is like a continuous sequel. Like, it doesn't go... Okay, like, it doesn't go direction. off in another direction. Okay. No. It, it's, it, like, you could watch the first one and the second one, and it would just be a good flow of a story. Okay, cool. It's just, it's ridiculous. Both movies have these characters that are absolutely ridiculous. Like, over-the-top ridiculous stuff. Yeah. And it's... Cool. It's just funny, has a lot of pop culture references and stuff like that, and over-the-top violent, and just, uh, I would say it is definitely worth a watch. It's quite entertaining. Uh, and this one is on uh, Netflix. And it's on Netflix Canada, too. So, yeah. um, and we don't know about UK and stuff, because we're not super cool. But right. I sure <laughs> hope it is on uh, Aussie Netflix and UK Netflix. Yeah, it's probably, it's it a pretty be. big movie. I bet you it probably is. Well, I was saying it's a Netflix original, so I would assume it's on pretty much every one of their platforms. One would assume, right? But you never yeah. know with these streaming services, man. Yeah, I, I am baffled by some of the things like, well, I, I think when we talked to our uh, buddies at the Horror for Dummies, like they can't get Shutter in Australia. Yeah, it hasn't come to Australia yet, but they have other streaming services. And, uh, you know, we'll learn more about that, I'm sure, at some point soon. Yeah. Um, but, hmm, yes, yes. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's interesting, right? The streaming stuff. So, well, the next movie we, we both saw, um, yes. and it's called Hashtag Alive. Um, it's a Netflix movie as well. It is a, I believe it's a Korean film. Yep, South Korean uh Zombie yeah, film. Probably not North Korean. <laughs> it's, it's true, true. <laughs> Fair to say. Um, though I do believe there are some North Korean horror movies that are out there. I just oh, I'm sure. I've ever seen one. Yeah. Venom would know that. Uh, Venom from No More Room in Hell. Fresh Cuts, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, hashtag alive. I, I enjoyed it. You know, it's a 98-minute runtime, and it's a perfect length of time for a zombie film. It's a, it's a, it's a more of a virus rage 
you know, outbreak film. It reminds me a lot of the zombies from Train to Busan. Yes. Yes. It's very much a Korean film. Like they, you know, my friend said it perfectly when she saw um, Peninsula. She said, yeah, like in Korean films, they just linger on the sad part where North Americans would eventually pull away in South Korean films. No, they want you to feel sad. Yeah, and they want you they want it to like eat away your soul and i was like that is so true that is so true yeah south korean films and like yeah there's a couple other foreign like foreign films that are just like that too it's just like they linger on these parts they make you feel and just make you uncomfortable they don't shy away they don't um give you a chance well obviously you can look away from the screen but they do a really good job of exposing who the character is the layers of that character and any relationships they really let that relationship develop there was a scene that happened in this that i did not see coming um at all made sense made sense um it has a little bit of a cheesy ending but it's it's a good watch i would definitely say it's worth it yeah and And it's on netflix so and i'll say like the one thing i really liked about this because it kind of uh covered a topic in a zombie film that really doesn't get covered and that is like what if you are like trapped in your apartment mm-hmm. and the water gets shut off and mm-hmm. you start running out of food what do you do that it brings up a question that usually doesn't get brought up in a lot of these films well and like i felt like people thought they were going to roll run into that situation in COVID 19 this year yeah like we all thought we were going to like run out of water and food and uh, be able to function though let me tell you COVID 19 has showed us that no one is going to survive the zombie attacks like <laughs> yes. walking dead how there's like 10 people left is the most fucking accurate thing like there and you americans aren't saving the day <laughs> no, no we are not <laughs> unless you know some things change in the next couple of years maybe you know but if an independence day happened right now like i know it's an alien movie we like guys no you guys just nope. let us take it, okay? Yeah, like... so you guys would, we, well, we would be ignoring that this is even happening. Yeah, We'd there'd be, be someone being ourselves. like, those aliens aren't real. This is a hoax. <laughs> it's a democratic Fake news. hoax. <laughs> but you know what? People are like that here too. Like I was watching the news um, on Facebook and because we've increased our, or decreased our numbers allowed in groups. But I didn't know who was getting together indoors in 50 group people anyway who knows 50 people and like, and it was like people 20 to 39. So it must be like a bunch of 20 year olds having parties because yeah, probably college kids. Who the fuck? Who did, could you invite 50 people to your house that would actually show up? Like, honestly, do you have no. 50 people in your life that would show up to a party? Not anymore. <laughs> like when I first, when I first got this house and we uh, did like Halloween parties, there was about 60 people that showed up one time, but that's like the only time that's ever really happened. Right. How old were you then? I would have probably been like, 28 29 maybe 30 somewhere around there yeah like you probably one of the few people that had a house that's probably why they all showed yeah, up exactly yeah like you know what i mean like nowadays like i look around and i'm like like last night i was with seven people and i was like that's a diet <laughs> yeah like i'm amazed if i'm like out with like five people somewhere it's like whoa yeah, but that's even at a restaurant you know what i mean like to just even have a gathering yeah. I think the biggest gathering I've been in that was outdoors, okay, that was outdoors, was a, was a fire I went to a couple of weeks ago. And outdoors, we can still have up to 25 people um, before it was up to 100. And I think that this fire, there was 20 of us there. Yeah, yeah, because you counted you, you counted while yeah. you were on video with me talking. Yeah, I think it was like 20, maybe 22. Like, it was maybe 20 to 22. Like, it wasn't even at the new limit that it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
like I just find it so and I'm not trying to belittle it like I understand that these people who are having these huge gatherings and are you know practicing social distancing or wearing masks or going when they're sick which yet again if you're sick why the fuck would you go to a party yeah be like who wakes up and goes oh man I got a fever a really bad headache you know what I'm gonna do I'm going to go to a party and I'm going to share all the same chips and shit that everybody else is. Right. Well, there's those people. Then there's you got like with COVID, the thing that sucks is the whole asymptomatic people. Yeah. You could be a carrier without being sick too. So that's the, that's the shitty part about this freaking disease. But like, yeah, that. But that's like any flu. You can be a carrier of a, of a virus and it not get you. Right. If not, like I'm sure when you were living with your ex or even now there's times where you get sick and Tim doesn't. Yeah. Like, Tim could have been the carrier that brought it home and right. got you sick. Like, and, and again, I'm not playing down COVID-19 at all. I'm just saying, like, I don't fucking understand. For all these yeah. people have friends to get together in these large right. groups. Like, it, it makes no freaking sense. Like, I get weddings and funerals. Those are the only two situations I can think of that where, like, you're going to have an, a, a big party of people that's more than 25 people outside and, like, 10 indoors now. I'm like... Like, I plan on having a games night next weekend. I'll be lucky. Like, there'll be six of us playing board games. <laughs> right? Like, and if I play Magic next weekend, the most we might have is, like, seven or eight. Right? Like, anyway. Maybe Scott and I are just big losers, and there's other people out there that have, right. like, all these friends and shit. <laughs> like, they're the ones that are in these parties. I don't know. Um, but whatever the case. That's neither here nor there. I don't even know how we got on that rant. Probably we don't want to about. talk about this fucking shitty movie that we need to talk about next. Oh, you mean this amazing movie? Oh my god. I think you knew the drama club behind this movie. <laughs> I think they're your personal friends, so you feel the need to defend it. Nope. I actually just have good taste and enjoyed it. Okay, and why that... don't you talk about this movie and then I'll rip it apart. Alright. So the movie we are teasing right now is They Reach from 2020, and it's basically about these uh kids and this family that end up uh pretty much summoning a spirit mm-hmm. and it ends up like at the first it's kind of like a family dealing with this type of stuff and then it just kind of switches to where it's the main girl like the kid and her friends and it kind of becomes like this adventure horror kind of along the, i would kind of say like it kind of reminded me a lot of the 80s style kids in horror style movies yeah but those are better so yeah I, i'm not gonna argue that for sure but uh like it's very low budget <laughs> like and i i thought the acting uh especially from the kids was really incredible like i felt like they were real friends like that just hung out all the time and had some very creepy moments and some gory moments too surprisingly and yeah i just thought this was an all-around like just fun supernatural film i'm not gonna say it's like the best of the year but i enjoyed this and i just want to let everyone know that scott's wrong and unless you really have a thing for watching low budget drama club get together <laughs> i suggest you don't watch this movie i will say that for practical effects and for the budget they had they did pretty good i will give them yeah. credit for that um i will give them credit for trying to write a very creative script but the acting was painful at times by some of the people in this. And it, it, was, it felt like it was filmed on a camcorder, but not found footage. So Scott and I have never had more polarine, polarized views of this. And I'm not saying he's wrong as much as I tease. Because other people in this community, specifically Mark Nato and who's the other one? Jason Lloyd. 
Jason Lloyd. And both... Tammy Turner. Tam- Taminator. Well, Tammy's your girlfriend, so that's not really fair. <laughs> so Tammy, Tammy, the Taminator, Mark Nato, and uh, Jason, Jason Lloyd, Lloyd. former uh, uh, host of Horophilia, all love this movie. It ranks at 127 on my list out of 142. Um, yeah, that, that's just wow. And where does it rank on yours, Scott? I am looking it up right now. It's oh. probably in the 40s, I guess. Yeah, I would assume it's probably close to the 40s, maybe 50s. It's his number one film of the year, ladies and gentlemen. This yes, will be the surprise. last episode of Friday Nightmares oh, podcast. It is number 38. Oh my God, I don't even know how we're almost at 100 movie difference. 90 movie difference. 90 movie difference, taste, roughly. That's why. No, you don't. Like, this film isn't that good. It's I, not, it, Scott. It's very good. Like, I was impressed with it. It's a 7.5 out of 10. I don't know how you... I gave it... So just for everyone's perspective, I think I gave it a 3. <laughs> <laughs> All right? So, you know, if Friday Nightmares makes it through our next drinking challenge... <laughs> And through this movie, then we'll continue our podcast. And you can watch the movie and decide. You have two very, very polar opposite opinions. And as much as I tease Scott, I do respect his opinion. He enjoyed the film. That's awesome. Um, It was just a little too, I didn't enjoy the acting. I really did feel like it was a drama club that got together and presented this movie. I will say they put effort into it. I would say comparably to things like the Wakefield Project and other things like that, much better film. But yeah, no. Yeah, this no. one was like I just I really enjoyed it. Like for the for the reasons I gave. Um, and I, also, the, I I just looked it up. This drama club is from Short Creek, Michigan, <laughs> and their one fan is Scott Crawford on their Facebook page. Oh, you are such a shithead. <laughs> and Scott shithead. likes this. <laughs> you are just. Uh, this is the shit I got to deal with, people. Yeah, you know, it. I do really feel like, yet again, remember we talked about in last episode that, you know, like, if you were to kill me, like, in all fairness, like, I kind of have it coming. Yeah, like I said, you are going to be uh, locked down in a basement and force-fed kale chips watching, uh, you're going to be watching Jessica forever over and over again. I can sleep through that at least. That's. <laughs> well, no, I'm going to keep you awake the whole entire time. How? You With know how kale the, like, chips? Well, well I'm going to. Make you eat kale chips, and then every single time you start to fall asleep, I'm going to come over and smash some cymbals really loud next to your head. Oh, my God. It's like the no, it's like a drama club's version of Saw. Excellent, yeah. Scott. Why don't you give this a movie idea to your drama club friends that made this movie and see if they can make that one? It sounds right up there. We'll get Exploding Heads to, to review it. Dave, did you hear that? We're going to have a new movie coming out that Scott's drama club friends are going to do, and it's going to be a ripoff version of Saw. It should be really great. And I guarantee it's going to be amazing because if these people, if those people are behind the movie, then it's going to be a great film. Ah, of course. I'm glad that you like them on their Facebook page. Um, <laughs> like smart ass. So anything you want to add to this movie? Uh, no, I think uh, we're just going to go back and forth picking at each other more than anything. But if we where continue. can you find it in case somebody um, feels like torturing themselves? Well, we watched it on our good friends Plex. I, I didn't looked, see it listed on here where you could see it. Yeah, I looked. I thought it was going to be on Amazon, but it is not on Amazon. So oh, once again, this people. is one that uh, might be on like Google Play or something. We may just be teasing you guys and this <laughs> movie sure. just doesn't exist. Because yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's Scott's Drama Club friends. <laughs> he, got it, he got our friend to put it on their play. <laughs> no, it's the, you know who it is that made this movie? That werewolf society behind the historic Howell Theater horror films. 
That's right. That's right. That's who did it. You're just trying to support. You know what? If it was them, it would probably be better than this. It probably would have been really cool. But no, I'm right. good. Like, this movie's still good. But it isn't as bad as my next film. Yes, I got to hear about this one. Um, the next film is called The Faceless Man. And I watched this piece of shit because <clears throat> my podcasting partner in crime saw a trailer and said, quote unquote, to me, oh, it doesn't look that bad. Yeah, the trailer didn't look bad. You know what? You're a liar, Scott. You are a liar. And you a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was that bad. <laughs> it was horrible. It was like it was like somebody watched the Guy Ritchie film. So Guy Ritchie behind like Snatched and um what are some of his other films he's done? He always films like the those kind of films in like a really unique way and like that kind of like flashing back and forth with like people walking and, towards the screen and the story and he usually piece. deals with like a lot of crime drama too right doesn't he yes it was like somebody watched those movies and was like oh fuck i am just as good as guy Ritchie. i'm gonna make my own fucking film and make it a horror movie and it they're not they're not him and this is boring it is boring uh the horror in it is just horror that they considered horror the acting is fine. The characters try enough, but the plot is horrible. The opening sequence has probably the best monologue I've ever seen in the sense of a low budget, but it's just so irrelevant to the entire film. Like it is just not a good movie and it's actually moved below Jessica forever because oh. it's oh. my bottom because wow. it, at least Jessica forever was filmed well and had beautiful cinematography this had none of that shit and at least in jessica forever i got a basic plot of you know people the boys have been you know these are orphan boys and she's taking care of them and you know they're under this kind of like dog watch society i don't even understand what the faceless man was about it was so freaking dumb do not waste your time wow i didn't think anything was gonna ever surpass jessica forever well, I just want to mention that the bar got lower. So, holy the shit. The bar is actually in the ground now. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I am definitely glad you took the bullet. Like, well, I guess we both took a bullet this uh this we last did. week with these And I had take a bullet for They Reach to support your drama club. You didn't take a bullet. You enjoyed it. You just don't know it yet. No, I I know I didn't. <laughs> I know I didn't. You know, you're just going to have to rewatch it four more times. No, I'm not. I will never watch that movie again. You will love it. You will. No, I will not. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, I will move on to the last one on our list here, and that is uh, off of Hulu's Into the Dark, and that is Good Boy, uh, starring, uh, what is her name? Uh, Julie Greer? Judy Greer. Judy Greer. Uh, and she is basically this uh, lonely girl that's been, lonely woman that's been trying to date and just not having any success. She's kind of awkward and a little shy and well, she just keeps having bad luck after bad luck, loses her job, and so she ends up going and finding a support dog, kind of, like just someone to keep her company that she could just love and spend time with, and then, well, every single time she goes out with somebody, and like either she goes out on a date, or she's meeting up with somebody, they wrong her, or she just gets completely, like, like just gets extremely anxious and nervous, the dog basically kills them. It's basically a 
other the dog is just this like adorable cute little dog but it ends up being like this monstrous beast that you don't really actually see you just like see like the destruction going on in the background you see like a giant version of its shadow or something like that but man this was just a uh very easy watch and for into the dark it's one of those uh it's like a popcorn horror film but or what did you call it bubblegum horror bubblegum uh so yeah like i would put uh this one is up this one is up there is one of my uh favorites like in the probably top five of the into the dark series just just enjoyable just enjoyable fun i like the into the dark movies people are or segments or whatever yeah. people want to call them i think i honestly haven't disliked any of them like i walk into that with all of them with pretty low expectations and all i'm expecting for it to be is entertaining easy to watch and you know a basic plot that i can follow and and i like that and if that just makes me a simple creature a simple hungover heather creature then that's what <laughs> i am and i'm fine with that yeah cuz i'm right there with you i don't mind the into the darks they're just fun easy watches there are a couple that i have watched that i'm just going oh this is rough this is really bad but like they're not as uh often they're you know most of these will probably be like six to se- uh six out of ten to seven out of ten range like just easy fun watches and or you've seen they reach and you realize how bad scott's taste is and uh the oh. out of the darks are not as bad as you think they could be you are such a shithead because my taste is amazing and you just don't know what you're talking about we should do a poll we probably shouldn't because you will probably win <laughs> but i mean we we kind of did with our post in there like and only a few people have even seen it <laughs> Which post? What are you talking? Oh, the one that they reach. Yeah. Yeah. And then people are like, I like that movie. <laughs> of course you do. Of course. <laughs> and I felt justified. Like, yes. Three know, people. You're, yes. you're like, finally, finally, my time has come. Yes, my, my time to shine. My time to shine. No one's going to hold me back. No one puts Scott in a corner. Yeah, no one, stop, no one puts Smoke Show in a corner. No one puts Smoke Show in a corner. <laughs> so older movies, should we jump into the, to the, to the, older (laughs) keep it in scott keep it in let's show the magic of what happens when you abuse your liver um (laughs) if we move into our older movies yeah let's do that (laughs) excellent thank you thank you for sitting through with me audience as i tried to manage out those words oh that was amazing i love it magical (laughs) Um, here so i will start off with this one um I was just bored at home one day and just kind of scrolling through it because I had HBO for... Um, oh, you had Drama Club that night? No, no Drama Club that night. I, I called them up and canceled for the evening. Mm-hmm. Nice. But uh, I had subscribed to the seven-day free trial for HBO because we had some uh, movies for this show that I was only able to find through there. And so I was like, oh, well, I have it. I'll scroll, scroll through their horror section, see what they got. And I came across this one I've never even heard of. And it's called Into the Grizzly Maze. And... It's got a pretty stacked freaking cast. It's got James Marsden, Thomas Jane, and uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Wow. And uh, Thomas Jane and James Marsden are brothers. James Marsden's kind of like the troubled brother that just got out of uh, got out of prison. He was coming over to where his dad's hunting lodge because they mm-hmm. used to hunt like grizzly bears and stuff like that back in the day when they were kids, and no, actually, I don't know if they hunted grizzly bears, but there's... I was going to be like, this sounds like an interesting hobby to do with your children. <laughs> right? But, like, uh, he goes out there, and, like, he runs into his brother, who is a police officer of the town. 
and he's like, well, I'm going to go to dad's cabin. I uh, got some things I got to take care of up there. Oh, um, so as they, he, I got to go to the cabin. <laughs> got to go to the cab, cabin in the woods. Well, <laughs> all of a sudden, like this massive grizzly bear is just like killing people that are just out in the woods, like alone and shit like that. And gosh, never been done. Yeah, I was going to say, and this almost feels like Jaws just for the fact. Well, doesn't it just sound like Grizzly, the movie that we saw from 1981? I mean, kind of. I mean, Grizzly had, like, more of, like, that whole, uh, uh, like, fucked with, fucking with nature. Yeah, but it was thing. about a bear that killed people out in the woods. Yeah. I was like, well, this, <laughs> exactly. But it was also had, like, the mutations and stuff like that from the chemicals. This one's just more natural. No, which one was the one where it was just a naturally large bear? Uh, there, we, we watched that one. There was one that we watched where it was just a naturally large bear, and it went around and messed people up. Hold on, Grizzly movie. Yeah, the the Grizzly, nineteen seventy six. Yeah, yeah, that one had a, a chemical plant that was leaking chemicals. But that wasn't chemicals. No, it was just a big bear. You never found out why it was so big. It wasn't deformed or anything. Up, uh, You're mixing unless... them up. I was saying, unless I'm mixing up nature run amok movies, because I was, remember there was like mutated like fish and stuff like that too, like oversized fish. No, because I never saw that one. Oh my God, I'm thinking of the prophecy. Never mind. Yeah, that's why I'm like, no. Like, yeah, All so right, it sounds yep. like 1976 Grizzly. Yeah, yeah, okay. For some reason, I kept thinking Grizzly was the prophecy. Nope, that's a completely different movie. But look at you. Yeah, See? Wow. Someone else is hungover today. Yeah. So we're this is our train wreck episode, folks. <laughs> we'll get through it. <laughs> but uh, the one thing I will say is they definitely had like a spin of Jaws on this because uh, Billy Bob Thornton is considered a wild games hunter that they call in to take out the uh, help wild take out the grizzly. <laughs> was he drinking throughout the movie? Nope. He was sober. He was just kind of a madman. Oh, well, sounds like Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, but yeah, this was like for not knowing about this, and it came out in 2015. And I just random watched this. Was really fun. Like, nice, really good movie. Nice. Uh, do you want me to continue with ones I have, or do you want? Yeah, you just finish up yours. Okay. Well, and then little hint for what we are uh, talking about tonight with one of the movies. I decided to watch the sequel, Children of the Corn Part Two from 1992. <sighs> this movie. Oh. So what you're saying it was as good as they reach. What I'm saying is uh I I can't I I'm not going to argue with you on they reach anymore. I just can't. Uh, no. Like, <laughs> this is okay, how about this? Yeah. This is as good as what you think they reach they reaches. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Why what was so bad about it? Uh it just went super freaking corny like it's i think almost 10 or six or seven years after the first one and do they carry over any characters no nope it's, okay, so it's all, all new, new characters, characters. okay because yeah, it's pretty much uh the authorities find out about what actually happened in gatlin mm -hmm. and uh like they find all the bodies of all the dead parents and all this stuff and like they try to clean it all up and then there's this news crew that comes in well the one that walks behind the rose is still there and trying to uh, corrupt uh, the children. And it's just really cheesy. It's not terrible, but it's like just way over the top cheesy. And there is some like just some dumb, dumb lines. Like, what was it? Mm -hmm. There's this older woman that ends up getting killed by the kids. And 
her house, like she's in one of those trailers and the trailers lifted and like looked like they were getting ready to put skirting underneath it or something. And so she was going under there because she's seen her cat under there. And when the when she gets under there, the kids show up and they kick out like they're like lowering the jack stands that are lowering the trailer on top of her and they're surrounding oh the house so she can't get out. And the whole entire time she's saying lines from uh, The Wizard of Oz. What a world! What a world! And she's like, she ends up literally getting crushed by the house, just like the Wicked Witch, and you see her legs just sticking out. It's, oh, that sounds horrible. Oh, it's so fucking painful. And there are some, like, just weird-ass dialogue that just, like, you're like, really? Wow. All right. This is where we're going with this? Uh, so, yeah, this one's just kind of black. So what you're I'm, saying is Children of the Corn 2 is a no-go. No, and from what I've heard, the only one worth watching out of like the nine or ten that are in this franchise. There's nine or ten? Yeah, there's something like that. There's a ridiculous amount of these. Wow. And I guess the only one that's worth watching is part three, after part one and part three. Mm. So Mm. uh, I may try to find part three at some point and watch it. Um, But yeah, yeah. it was just something to watch and yeah, no well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the next movie I ended up watching, though, um, this one I know every, a lot of people have seen and talked highly of. I started it around this time of year when it came out because I was going to try to, you know, that's when I was trying to do my most newer films and try to make a top 10 list. And the copy I was watching just had some issue where it stopped like halfway through and I could not finish it. Uh, that movie is The Devil's Candy, which is directed by the guy that did The Loved Ones which we will also be talking about at some point here in the future. I like candy. Uh, you do like candy. I like candy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this one is about a uh, painter that is a big heavy metal dude that loves heavy metal, and he raised his daughter to love heavy metal. And he all of a sudden, he moves into this house where there's just like this evil presence where he's just all of a sudden getting like this unknown inspiration for these uh paintings that he's doing and they are kind of like dark and you see like the there's children screaming in the paintings and stuff like that and it's the lost souls of the children that the killer has been taking and they're basically giving him a warning to like help them in any way they can and yeah there's Mm. another guy that got corrupted by this house and he's hearing like the devil in his head telling him to Mm. do stuff and like he's constantly playing like really loud guitar like late at night because that is the only way to drown out the devil's voice in his head is by just blasting this music playing it loud so this is like a heavy metal horror film and it has ethan Embry in it which i know like a lot of people are familiar with him uh and this was yeah pretty damn good movie like i really enjoyed it i wish i would have finished watching it like when it first came out because it would have probably made my top 10 really yeah yeah it was really good movie so, would you think I would enjoy it? I think you would. I think you would really enjoy this one. Hmm. Maybe I will check it out then. I, I, I recommend it. I might eat some candy during it as well. <laughs> you might as well. <laughs> so, I'm sure that uh, I will upset somebody uh, by what I'm going to say next. Probably not, um, actually. You don't think so? Probably not. So, I watched the first Puppet Master movie. Mm-hmm. It was a first-time watch for me. Um, it's a series I've just never watched. And I like killer doll movies. I actually enjoy them. Um, it was okay. Like it wasn't bad. 
um, I did, I did definitely have a soft spot for some of the puppets and I didn't really like how they were treated. Uh, and, question. Uh, what ones would be your favorites of the puppets? The one that has the drill on its head. Oh, Tuttler. I love Tuttler. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, their kills are pretty interesting. It's, you know, they're puppets, right? So, yeah. like, you know, they're creative enough. Um, I probably enjoyed the third act the most. Yeah, because, like, the first two acts, it's almost just about the psychics and, like, the funeral and all that, and there's really not much puppet stuff going on. Yeah, and I and I found that the ending was the most dramatic and kind of brought it all together as best as it could. But I'll be honest, I thought to myself, well, because usually the first movie is the best. Yeah. Right? That is not the case with the series. Oh, no. Okay. Because I thought to myself, if this is the best, then I don't think I really want to see anything else. Nope. I would recommend watching part two. Like, part three is everybody's favorite. Like, that is, like, the one. Okay. That one's, like, really good, like, for being a full moon low budget. But part two and three, I would recommend. Because part two... Because part one is very slow. Very slow. And it wasn't the speed that bothered me. No. I just I just didn't find it. I didn't understand the the reason why there were so many further puppet master movies and why people talked about them and why even there was a coverage of them before. Yeah. Like, yeah, like <laughs> who would review these movies? Like I didn't quite get people that want why. to torture themselves. Um, well, you know, and I wouldn't say number one was that bad. I just didn't understand the love for it. Um, like I'll never watch it again. No, no, it's, I would recommend if you're gonna, if you ever feel like watching any more, check out part two and part three. Okay. If you say they're better then. Yeah. Part two plays is like a much better horror film. Like part two should have been part one, honestly. Okay. And, uh, part three is kind of a prequel and it's, uh, takes place in Nazi Germany during world war two. And so it tells the story of the puppet master. Yep. And it's very, that one's very well done. And you know what? The Puppet Master isn't a bad story. Like, I, I thought the Puppet Master that died, Linky dies early on, and not spoil anything. Yeah. Um, was, you know, was, like, fine. I, I thought that, yet again, like, everything was just fine. And I think I walked into the Puppet Master, and, and probably maybe but the problem is I had put it on this pedestal, because in the community, it's so, it seems to get a lot of love, the series. And, you know, I walked in thinking this movie is going to just blow my mind. And it didn't. It was okay. Like, it was very much, like, average. Yeah, I think what it is, is, because uh, I don't think anybody just truly loves these movies. Like, especially because there's, like, 14 sequels or something stupid altogether. And they are just really bad for the most part. Hmm. Um, but I think what it is, is... The puppets are so iconic that the community itself just kind of like loves the puppets and wishes that there could be such a a good movie around those. Yeah, I did like the puppets. And as I said, I really liked the third act. The third act to me really like, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the ending. Um, I think the ending was a pretty um, decent way to end the film. Like, the third act, I enjoyed. That's basically what it comes down to, is I really like the third act, but I I could have cared less for the other stuff leading up to it. Yeah, that's pretty much how I was with that one. Yeah, I I recommend you check out part two and part three. Those ones, you'll give a better understanding and see if you enjoy those movies or not. I appreciate it. No, not a problem. Next is Critter. Mm. Uh, 1986. So Critter... um, Uh, It's Critters. Oh, is it Critters? I thought, okay. 
obviously, look at this. Scott is so annoying. He corrects <laughs> me all the time. Uh, so Critters, 1986. I, I remember seeing this, like a make fun of this poster when I used to go to Chuck E. Cheese with my parents. Did you guys, did you ever go to a Chuck E. Cheese? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Okay. So we used to have Chuck E. Cheese here and, you know, had like, it would have the mechanical lion that would sing. Yeah. And then you would have like the ball pit. Like this is now it's just like a, a little kid's casino. But back then it used to be like games and the ball pit and all that other kind of fun stuff. And um, in the room where you had the pizza, there was a booth. And I remember my favorite booth would be where they were making fun of the critter poster, but it was like the characters from Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, I don't know if I've ever seen that. In the poster instead. Yeah. And I, I always thought that was really cool. And I remember seeing, you know, when we used to go to the video store, I remember seeing the Critters uh, cover. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking how cool it was. And I guess I just never watched it. And then finally, I was given an opportunity to watch it. And I really liked it. I thought it was a really cute, it kind of reminded me of Gremlins, only darker. Yeah, because this was, uh, I think this and Gremlins were kind of made right around the same time. Okay, that and makes a lot of sense. Like, and like, cause like, it's just they were the ones that kind of created that whole little monster buzz that went on through the '80s with like Ghoulies and all the other stuff. That makes sense. I can't believe I'm saying that statement because you say that shit all the time. My God, we're rubbing off on each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it it was just, and I don't want to give it away too much, but for a 1986 movie, it was just really it flowed really well. It it, the critters were all practical. So, you know, everyone who doesn't like CGI probably just come in their pants when they watch critters. Um, <laughs> so tired of hearing people complain about C CGI. Um, but it was good. Like, I, I want to see the other ones, actually. I look forward to seeing the other ones. Are they worth watching? Yeah, I'd say there's four of them. And I would say part two and part three are definitely really good. Like, I wouldn't say really good, but they're good like they're enjoyable uh, yeah and part four kind of goes downhill like but it's not bad and it's one of the few horror films where they go to space and it actually makes sense because the critters are from space oh that does make sense yeah so like it, more than when jason goes to space yeah exactly oh, fuck that that jason movie. x i like jason x i know you don't like it but i like it i still I watch it <laughs> i watch it but i hate watch it when i watch it it's like, like, this is part of my favorite franchise, but fuck you. Why am I watching this? I hate it. It was filmed in Toronto. Was it really? Yeah. yeah oh, it was filmed oh in that's Toronto. why you love it then. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's why. I'm like, <laughs> I like it. It was filmed in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's your favorite franchise, and you didn't know that, Scott? Nope. Wow. I, well, I did, I, you know me. I don't know the locations of a lot of stuff. But it was in the Camp Crystal Lake Memories documentary. Did you not watch that I did, but Scott? there is so much to freaking learn from that that I just didn't pick up on it. Wow. Well, I know part eight was filmed in Vancouver instead of actually New York, except for like the whole uh, like one shot. Wow, you are a basic white bitch, huh? I am. <laughs> anyway, so that's it for older horror movies. And then like, obviously, we'll talk about the ones that we saw for our topic or whatnot. Uh, but I yeah. guess we'll break it into what we've been listening to. Uh, yes, so I guess I will jump into this one. Uh, this one is pretty popular from what I from what I've gathered, uh, at least in the community, and that is Bloody Good Horror. These guys actually have a horror website, and that's, I think, where it started first, is they made a website, and then they decided to create a podcast. 
but the usual people that are on the show are the main host eric uh then there's casey joe john and then he'll have like other writers from their website join them like cc is one that's usually a main one that pops up but they uh have three different little segments but they usually review they only review newer films and uh it's usually just one film that they review but they have different segments which i love uh the first one is called beer guts <laughs> i like it and it's uh where uh joe will go on and talk about a beer for the episode and try to like find a beer that will fit with the movie they're watching and we'll That's get cool. into details and tell you where to find it how to order it and all that stuff and then uh the next segment is like the word of the day or and it'll be uh john will talk about a word of the day and give you the entomology of the word and it's usually a word related to the horror film like something that goes with that movie which is kind of neat that and is then neat. yeah and then they just review a tw- usually the most modern horror film like uh, the last one they the last movie they reviewed was uh spree from 2020 wow that's cool so when they do the pairings i guess we're gonna we're gonna work on that too with shots so yes <laughs> I recommend tequila. Why, Heather? Because that's all I order now when I go out to bars. <laughs> this film, I recommend the toughest, the hardest liquor you can find. Why is that? Because you don't want to sit through this movie sober. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's who they reach, right? Um, oh, you should. <laughs> well, yeah, I highly Scotty. recommend. Uh, you're not sorry. You're not sorry at <laughs> no. all. No, you're right. I'm not. But, but I definitely recommend Bloody Good Horror. They've been around for quite some time and like yeah they do a great job reviewing movies and they're usually pretty damn funny and entertaining so would you say they're funny like us uh or maybe like me funny like you no no because they don't laugh at their own jokes usually i know well i do that so everyone knows that they should be laughing that's that's, (laughs) oh okay you're kind of like the laugh track to a sitcom i'm like a life yeah that's right i'm like the laugh track with friends that's what i'm like there we go (laughs) that's so funny and insulting at the same time sorry all the people that like friends uh so the next show or the next sorry the podcast i'm going to speak about is canadian true crime so it's actually a little bit away from the horror ones that i usually talk about because it does talk about actual crimes that have occurred but there's a woman named christy lee and she's actually an immigrant to canada she came from australia and she's been living in canada now for 10 years and i guess she just had always a really big interest in crime, true crime events. And I think a lot of times people don't think a lot of crime happens in Canada. And it actually doesn't compared to the US. We definitely do have a lower crime rate, uh, but we've had some pretty sensational murders. Um, People are, you know, are very familiar with Paul Bernardo, Robert Picton, um, as well as most recently, the Tim Bosman murder. Um, You know, we've definitely had some people that have, Uh, And some murders that have been pretty intense, like Robert Picton killed at least over 50 women, possibly more. Um, They may never figure out because he would target hookers and prostitutes in living in the lower Vancouver East Side. And when she covers through these podcasts, she covers through the details of, you know, who the victim was, what led up to the day that things occurred, how did the police investigation go, how was the trial, what was the result, and what is going on today. And it's extremely fascinating to learn more about the justice system in Canada. And there's always going to be people that have mixed emotions on the justice system. Uh, But I find it very interesting to sit through these 
episodes, I will warn there are some episodes, for example, uh, for my people that live in Ontario, the murder of Tony Tori Stafford, which was a young little eight year old girl, Oof. is a very hard story to listen to. Um, because it's very fresh and the things that happened to her are very upsetting. So I want to just give that viewer disclosure there. Um, and she does do this before all her episodes. So she does, um, you know, talk about like in this episode, we are talking about this and this, if you're not familiar with this murder, there are some things I will be sharing. And, you know, of course, if you're uncomfortable, but she's very clear, she articulates very well. Uh, her her information is always backed up with stats and facts and sources. So it's a very, very good true crime podcast. And it's Canadian. And uh, as much as we joke that I love Canadian stuff, it is nice to hear um, somebody who came to Canada, who has become a Canadian citizen, talk about um, not just the crime that we've had, but the empowerment that these victims have uh, applied to their communities that they've been in, the victims' families and whatnot, and as well as how... Um, our, our police forces have worked together, you know, to solve a lot of these crimes or lessons that were learned about um, discrimination and um, our uh, social class when it came to how uh, cases were investigated. So a little bit more of a heavier listen, but I really like it. That, that does sound like, because I remember when you first found this and you were telling me about it, this does sound like something I would be intrigued in. Um, because I do listen to like the last podcast on the left as well. It talks a lot about true crime stuff. Mm, nice. And so like, I don't listen to them very often, but like, they, it's, I find this stuff fascinating just to like kind of get the more in-depth detail of the stories of what happened. Yeah. And like, and it makes sense. If you like horror movies, you're probably going to enjoy listening to true, true crime. Like I think that those just go hand in hand to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's, it's definitely, it's a, it's a good podcast. It's unclassy. Uh, nothing but respect for this woman. I think she's oh. up to 100 episodes now. So Nice. Yeah, I will definitely have to give this a listen. All right. So I guess we are going to be uh, jumping into our main topic here, which is children in horror. But before that, we are going to take ourselves a quick break and uh, play a promo for one of our fellow Legion podcasters. We'll After be right back. these messages, we'll be right back. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com, the Psychosemantic Podcast. Welcome back, and we're going to move into our main topic, which is children in horror movies. So, you know, it's, it's interesting because we were thinking about what did we want to talk about next and what would be a really good topic in terms of kids um, and their impact on horror movies. Because we really had to think about how we wanted to do this because there's kids as victims in horror movies and there are kids as, um, and as, I guess you could say antagonists. Yep. There's also kids kind of just, I don't know, like what, would there be any other way that we would shape them as just maybe kind of being there? Yeah, I'll say like the, got the antagonists and we also have the kids getting revenge. Kids getting revenge. So there's a lot of different roles that children can play. But for this episode, we decided to focus mainly on them as the antagonist and we chose a couple of movies that we felt fit obviously there are other movies out there we <laughs> were aware of that um and we may 
hit those up for other episodes. But at this point, these were the ones that we felt made the most sense for what we wanted to talk about here. Yeah. So for our main, um, I guess, article that we'll start off with is we want to talk about why are kids the focus of so many horror movies? So there's an article which talked about why, why, why are kids put into horror movies? And we found this on uh, Screen Rant. I don't know. Have you ever been to ScreenRant.com before? I have a few times, yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting little um, website that talks about different like impacts of John in movies and, and stuff like that. I actually really enjoyed looking at some articles on there. So the first article that we're going to use is why are kids the focus of so many horror movies and TV shows? And this is written by Brindley Rammel on July 30th, 2020 and was found on ScreenRant.com. So why are kids so often featured in, in both protagonist and antagonist roles within the horror genre? Nearly every panelist included had worked with children in the horror genre in some capacity. They all cited that children bring horror to the stories. So I guess the idea here is that we're including children as a in a horror movie because of the innocence that they actually project and they bring more horror with that because well let's be honest no one expects a kid to get hurt we see children as kind of at the beginning of their lives we don't want things to happen to them and we see them as pure and innocent too which is what yes. a lot of these movies actually play on that we're going to be talking about today kids are an easy tool to use to depict the ongoing battle of good versus evil in horror movies and tv shows children are especially effective here because their interactions with evil evil highlight ideas of the loss of innocence which is something every audience member can relate to. Here's a breakdown example of how kids in horror content and why innocent loss is a scary thing to watch on screen. Some of the most prominent horror films feature a heavy focus between children and a powerful force of evil. Georgie and his friends fighting Pennywise in It, Danny narrowly escaping his murderous father in The Shining, Adrian coming in contact with Samara in The Ring, or is it Aiden? Aiden. Oh, Aiden. Aiden. Um, and a whole host of kids going, going, giving into, is it Bugalal? Uh, Bagul from Bagul Sinister. Bagul in Sinister. The list is nearly endless. Each of these films focus on a kid or a group of kids ending up against something evil. Sadly, that sometimes involves losing. Regardless of the outcome, it's a jarring thing to see on screen. That's because it triggers something deeply personal for audience members, the loss of innocence. This strikes a chord for audiences as they can obviously relate to seeing something through the wonderment of a child, because all of us have been children at some point. That's true. Right? The innocent and the wide-eyed wonder comes with a dark consequence. If someone is only exposed to good feelings, they may be more likely to act out what they experience something bad or negative. Kids especially aren't equipped to handle complica complicated emotions of things not going their way. This makes for uncontrollable and unpredictable antagonists. What a good point, right? Because kids yeah. haven't learned that you can't scream and yell in a grocery store as much as you may want to. And like, I wanted to scream and yell at the cab driver last night. Um, but it wasn't the cab driver's fault about the app not reflecting properly. Just like in the grocery store, you can't always buy your kid a chocolate bar. But they haven't learned that yet. They haven't learned to be adults and, well, most adults. And try right. to be <laughs> Well, children are often depicted in horror films as stand-ins for the good in the battle of good and evil. There's a niche in horror films that features kids as villains, such as Damien in The Omen. Young antagonists are just as scary as their adult counterparts, if not more, because of their unhinged nature. Would you agree with that, Scott? Like, do you feel that way watching movies with kids in it? 
Uh, yes, because, yeah, like, uh, you know, we were talking about, like, in this article, the innocence lost. Like, this is literally these children, like, lost their innocence one way or another and are, like, pure forms of evil, especially in most of the films that we'll be talking about. And it's kind of creepy. Like, And you've always said Gage in the original Pet Cemetery really creeps you out because of that. Yes. Yeah, because, like, especially just, like, the transformation from being this cute little child to all of a sudden this evil, sinister child that is malicious and loving every second of it. Exactly, right? And and has no boundaries when to stop. Yeah. Right? Uncontrollable. So no matter which way it's portrayed, kids in horror are scary because of their innocent nature. The innocence of childhood has greatly been under attack in recent years. To see children lose their innocence in repeatedly dark and twisted ways is both frightening and and compelling to audiences. Whether they come out of experience on the side of good and evil, utilizing kids in a horror movie is effective storytelling, and it's proven to keep the audience coming back for more. I think this is really relevant. Like, how many sequels are we at at Children of the Corn? How many times has The Omen been made? Now, mind you, The Omen has also uh, Damien is aged in The Omen as well. Yeah. Um, but we have a, a remake of, of Pet Cemetery. You know, we had the movie, and then we had a remake recently last year. So, yeah, definitely people want to see it. Oh, for sure. Like, there is a uh, audience for these types of films. And, and like, even, yeah. sorry, I was going to say, even though it's not horror, I really thought uh, Brightburn did a good job yep. of presenting a kid in a, in a villainous role. And that, I would consider that horror. Would you? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like a superhero slasher or a supervillain slasher. Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. So I'm going to just list out some of the more popular ones that have been mentioned. Um, I'm not going to go through all 10. I'll just list out probably the ones that are most known when it came to children in horror. And ones that surprised me on here was the first one is The Twins in the Shining, 1980, um, was one of the, you know, landed on the list of the top scariest and most evil children. Would you agree with that, Scott? I wouldn't, because, like, I mean, they weren't really, I mean, they like, were they weren't creepy. In it much. Yeah, they were, they, were, they were just more just like spooky, but they really weren't antagonists. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, I really think that they had, like, they were the ghosts that existed that were killed. But I agree. I kind of felt them maybe furthering along The Shining, like furthering, like, along the plot and the haunting and stuff like that. But I don't know if they had the biggest role. But I really like that Claudia from Interview, in an an, in Interview with the Vampires on here from 1994. Yeah, because that is one that, because I love that movie. That's one of my favorite vampire movies, like top five. Um, and I love the way Kirsten Dunst plays her in this because it's like she is a child that just is always wanting more nonstop, like just, and has, and it revels yeah. in the torture. But what scene really stands out for me is remember when she brings those two dead kids and you don't think they're dead. You think they're just passed out and you find out that vampires can't drink still blood Yes, because it kills them. Or makes them really sick. One or the yeah, other. Really, yeah, really, really makes really them sick. Really sick. And she does that to, I believe it's Brad Pitt's character. Tom Cruise. Because Brad Pitt Did was Tom... the one that kind of like her father. Tom Cruise. Was I, like thought the... she, I thought he made Brad Pitt sick. And Tom Cruise found it. Nope. Tom, uh, Brad Pitt's the one that found it and scolded her. But then they ended up uh, making Tom Cruise drink it. Because Tom Cruise was just constantly being a dick to them. And mm. he gets really, really sick. And they actually try killing him while he's sick. Okay um and then another one like damien and the omen we're going to talk about that adrian and rosemary's baby 1968 see i'm trying to remember like the child in that like i don't remember any child in that movie well the baby the baby at the end but that's only like a yeah 
freaking minute scene. And I guess maybe it's because the baby was inside of her doing all these things throughout it. Like it was, that was the cause of the evil. Yeah. I, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. I think that's just, it's really interesting. And maybe it's just because it's a baby that's to be born. That is evil that the people connected with um, Regan in the exorcist 1973, but she's possessed. So yeah, I don't really that, know if that makes her evil. Yeah. So it doesn't make her technically evil. It just makes like when she is possessed, she's just scary. Yeah, right. And we already talked about um, Gage and Pet Cemetery. I think the last one I want to mention, just because it's Japanese, is uh, Samara or yeah. Saduko? Sadu- yeah, Sad- Saduko? Yes, yeah, Sadako, Saduko. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. In the ring, or respectively, Ringu. Um, I agree. That child was creepy. Even in the American remake, holy shit, that child was disturbing. Yes. Like, yes, she was. And it pulled on, like, how little she was and how her mom really wanted her. And she would cause the horses to to freak out and, and, like, just evil things she would do. Like, what an evil kid. It was just such a well-done villainous. And, and when she would change, if we do ghost stories, which I'm sure we'll eventually do, we definitely got to talk about the Ring and Ringu. Because, oh, for I, sure. like, Japanese horror films like that are just freaking phenomenal. Like, and they're usually really freaking creepy and scary like really really freaking scary um so we'll break down our movies there's a couple that we have selected that we felt that kids were used as antagonists and were used very well and they were just going to give some thoughts on some scenes from the movies like we usually do and i'm gonna let scott take it away with the first one all right so the first one we will be talking about is probably like the most well-known killer kid movie out there and that is The Omen from 1976. Uh, The Omen is an American-British supernatural horror film directed by Richard Donner, written by David Seltzer and starring Gregory Peck, Lee Remick, David Warner, Harvey Spencer Stevens, Billy Whiteclaw, Whiteclaw. (laughs) (laughs) Hail to the Whiteclaw. Hail to the Claw, for sure. (laughs) Uh, Patrick Troughton, Martin Benson, and Leo McKern. Its plot follows Damien Thorne, a young child replaced at birth by an American ambassador unbeknownst to his wife, after their biological child dies shortly after birth. As a series of mysterious events and violent deaths occur around the family as Damien enters childhood, they come to learn that he is, in fact, the prophesied Antichrist. Yeah, this one is just one of those... There's, this is a classic for a reason. This film is really well done like it's a slow burn but like they pace this out very well and like it's almost like Damien really doesn't even have to try to do anything evil it just everything around him just happens he is also played by the cutest kid ever yes. and I wonder if did you ever see the movie problem child oh yeah I wonder if Damien was an inspiration for that problem child kid with the red it totally hair. could have been, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm obviously throwing out a complete, like, stretch there. And by no stance would I expect anyone to buy that. But when I look at how they cast it, first of all, like, let me talk about my love for Gregory Peck. I think Gregory Peck is a phenomenal actor, or was a phenomenal actor. Uh, him in this, in this movie, and this was covered in the Curse series that was on Netflix. as one of the films. Yes, it was. That had stuff happen. Um, and they had a lot of different stuff happen on the set and leading up to it. And, and they kind of just talked, they kind of played it down a little bit too. Um, but 
when he switches the baby, doesn't tell his wife, and, you know, obviously him being at the power that he is, a lot of this makes sense. And when we see that scene where the nanny jumps to her death with the Rottweiler and she goes up and she says that line, it's all for you, Damien. Yeah. Like, it is, it is really well done. Everyone's reaction to what she does, and I think the practical because i don't think you do see her jump and then you kind of flashes to see her hanging right well oh, what ends up happening like because i had watched this recently for a first time watch mm-hmm. oh and, you, you uh, just saw it recently yeah probably within the last like three or four months wow okay and uh i like this scene because the way they do this it's during damien's birthday party i forget which year birthday it was but like it's their birthday party and then that yeah that babysitter nanny like says those lines and when she jumps it it's his five his five year old birthday party. Five year old, okay. Yeah. And when she jumps, like like you say, it cuts away for a second. And when it cuts away, it cuts to everybody on the ground, and you see a lot of them turn around looking and reacting, and you just see it from a distance, her body hanging, like kind of dropping and hitting. Like yes. or <laughs> dropping from the rope. And then it kind of pans back to her hanging. And and, and how they're so taking him and turning him like trying to turn him away and he's kind of smiling. Yes, he's just got occurs. like that evil little smirk kind of face like that scene is not definitely i know isn't the most impactful one but man it stuck with me and even when they're trying to go to the church and i don't know if something just happened when he turned five and they're coming up to the church and he starts freaking out and he's burning up and he can't go in the church and then eventually the priest is killed in a random like lightning storm outside of the church Yes, and that was a brutal kill too, if I remember correctly. Well, he's like, impaled he by a lightning yeah, like, rod from the roof, from thrown from the top of the roof, um, and at the also time we find out that Catherine is pregnant and she tells Robert that she wants an abortion. Like it's just it's really fascinating how this kid is kind of just manipulating it, injures his mother, right? Like yep. it's a very stressful film, and you kind of watch Gregory Peck's character realize that his son is capable of doing all these really evil things like it's it's a really well put together well filmed well paced movie yeah like and i there's one scene that i got to bring up too like it's when they are doing the uh drive through safari at the zoo yes and all the animals just start freaking out and attacking the monkey the, specifically yes they all start attacking the uh vehicle and that damien is in and, and I remember from the Curse series that someone was killed at that day. There's a trigger yeah. that was killed at the Sioux that day. That's right, there was. Right? And it was the idea that they were doing this kind of thing about um, the devil worshipping and stuff like that, and that's why. And even though it wasn't technically Damon wasn't being worshipped, it was the belief that he was a devil and the Rottweiler was there. And then that creepy nanny shows up and, like to care for Damien and they always have these awkward stirrings and she's like calling him my lord or master or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she's like teaching him the ways of things and just like right? kind of just preparing him. Like it's just a very, very um, emotional scene. And Mrs. Baylock so enacts a violent, attempt, uh, a violent attack on Robert, but he ultimately stabs her to death. Um, and then he forces Damien into the car and drives to a nearby procedural. His erratic driving draws attention from the police who trail him. And Robert drags a screaming Damien into the church and lays him on the altar. He raises a dagger to stab Damien, mm. pleading for forgiveness from God, but is shot dead by the police. I remember that scene with, with Gregory Peck really, really well. And just because he's lost his wife by this point. Yep. Right? So he's 
beyond consult being consoled and he's going to kill this kid that he's basically raised as his own and one could argue maybe it was easier because it wasn't his biological son and his wife didn't know that but he did yeah but how a child who's silent like i don't remember him speaking much throughout the film no i don't like i think the only time you ever really hear him is when he's like freaking out like and screaming when he's going to the church yeah for someone to be silent and to present a feeling of dread as a child with just expressions at that young age of however old this actor would have been, which probably couldn't have been much older than five or six. No. Because he's so small looking at the time. Like, it's quite incredible. Like, that to me is someone of true... Now, I don't think this actor's gone on to do much else. Um, I haven't really looked at what his background was after he finished. Um, I guess we can look now. Harvard, Harvey Spencer Stevens. Have you heard of him before? No, I have not. So he did actually, in 1976, he was, he received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Acting Debut in a Motion Picture Male. So wow. if we think that he actually had an impact, he did. Because he received a Golden Globe nomination. Now, he was in The Omen 2006 as a reporter, actually. So he had oh, kind of a little cameo. Hit. Yeah, a little cameo, which I haven't seen the 2006 Omen. Have you? Uh, I've seen parts of it, and it's almost like like exact same movie. Like nothing really changed. Like almost a remake, scene for scene. Okay, I wasn't. I as I said, I wasn't sure. I hadn't. I hadn't seen it. But what do you think? You had a great question here, and we talked about how scary Damien is. Obviously, you know, if he was nominated for a Golden Globe uh, for debut acting, clearly he was able to make an impact. What do you think would nature and nurture affected on how this event played out in the film? I think that's a really good question that you asked in our notes here, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I'm because this one I was thinking because, like, the way he was raised, his parents really weren't, uh, they were just like, you know, like the ambassador and all that stuff. He, well, they were rich, and, yeah, they were rich, they weren't uh, always around for him, so it was the nanny he's constantly being raised by, and you know, the sadistic cult member of nanny that's comes in and i think that's where a lot of this comes from is just her words in his head it makes me wonder because he killed it's believed that that rottweiler came and that the first nanny killed herself before we even knew about that other character yeah and see that's the part i wonder though because a lot of these events happened around him without him actually doing anything so it makes me wonder if it's just like his presence is kind of doing this to people or if there's something Mm. else going on that's a really interesting argument, actually. I always perceived it as he was the son of Satan, um, opposite of, of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you believe in, you know, the Christian faith. And he was born to, you know, whatever family was, was meant. This other baby was purposely a stillborn. Um, and they the devil wanted him to be raised by this very affluent family because, you know, a lot of power was there to be had, right? Like he did have, you know, a very, a good life of, you know, he would have had good education. And even now, you know, as he lives on, there would have been probably a trust fund set up for him. Yeah. Because I know like in one of the later sequels, he is basically a politician. Yeah. He becomes a politician. And, uh, which I'm sure is a little bit of a political play. Yeah. On, you know, devils and evil in politics. But 
I always took it as with the Rottweiler and how the Rottweiler randomly shows up and Gregory Peck's reaction to that. Like, I think Gregory Peck and Harvey, um, I can't remember his full name now, but the gentleman that played Damien are really the people that sold this film. Oh, for sure. And their reactions. Um, and I, I, to me, that's what really did it in. And I don't think it had anything to do with that woman being a catalyst. I think she just was there to protect him because there was concerns that maybe people would figure out what was going on and he wouldn't be able to serve his biggest purpose because Gregory Peck does attempt to end his life. That is you know, true. He manages to get him in the church. And really, if it hadn't been for the cops shooting him, he would have. But yeah. Yeah, And I think all those events just, were circumstance like i think like somehow the cops probably would have if if damien was not the antichrist like and he was just a regular kid and like gregory peck was doing this anyways mm. i have a feeling the cops wouldn't have showed up but since it was damien i think there's just that level of influence that emanates from him without him even trying that- so because see i guess what happened is he was speeding by the cops and they followed him but what you're kind of saying is maybe damien called out to them yep maybe like somehow yeah. mentally or just like his power emanating from him yeah, like, that, yeah that's a good argument you know it could have been that for sure and i think that's the great thing about this movie and and really for a 1976 movie it is a slow burn um definitely a product of its time but i i love this movie i you know besides my love of gregory pack which i've already kind of talked to death about and it's not that i haven't gone seen the remake because i just love this one so much i you know couldn't imagine watching the remake i think um there's some another well-known actor that's in that one yeah leave schreiber Driver? yeah yep so you know i have no doubt that it's probably entertaining i just think the story behind this and the fact that in 1976 they used a kid as being you know the son of satan or whatever you want to present it as was just really monumental and really yeah. took you know a look at innocence and this kid not saying anything being super adorable and being this this evil presence you said it best of everything happening around him like what an impact in theaters you know what a yeah. what a monumental thing in cinema to to take this child and put it in this role i think it's I, great and to, and to not have him say a line and for him to be nominated for a golden globe like exactly that is impressive. Like that says something that's really impressive and like like i was saying this is a classic for a reason yeah and one that absolutely. is like so well known and loved absolutely well, I guess should we move on to our next one? Uh, yes, we can. We can go on to an, another uh, classic in a way. And that is Children of the Corn from 1984. Children yeah, of the Corn. I just watched is... it recently, actually. Yeah, yeah you'd, you'd, I was like, I'm wondering if that kind of inspired this episode. Yeah, it probably did, actually. That's exactly probably where it came from. And <laughs> another movie that we're going to talk about that's one of my favorite movies. Oh, yep. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a fun one to talk about as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, The Children of the Corn is an American supernatural folk horror film based upon Stephen King's 1977 short story of the same name. Directed by Fritz Kirch, the film's cast consists of Peter Horton, Linda, Linda Hamilton, John Franklin, Courtney Gaines, Robbie Kiger, Anne-Marie McAvoy, Julie Maddalena, and R.G. Armstrong. The film is set in the fictional town of Gatlin, Nebraska, an agricultural community surrounded by huge cornfields. The corn crop fails one year and the townsfolk turn to prayer to ensure a successful ha- harvest. However, 12-year-old Isaac takes all the children in Gatlin into the cornfields and indoctrinates them into a relig- religious cult based around a bloodthirsty deity called He Who Walks Behind the Rose. 
Isaac and his subordinate, 18-year-old Malachi, lead the children in a revolution, murdering all the adults in town as human sacrifices, poisoning and butchering them. Jump forward a few years, and a couple driving cross-country gets stranded in the town and must try and survive long enough to find a way out. And, man, this film scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Really? What scared you so much? Um, right off the bat, the scene in that diner in the very beginning where the slaughter happens, like the person they had playing Isaac was not actually a child. He is just someone with a... Like, He's a, a little person? person? Yeah. And fuck, is that kid just creepy? Like, just the look... like. Because all you see of him in that beginning diner scene is him just kind of in the background looking through the window with his black hat and black suit. But just the way he looks, he's like so pale and just kind of sinister looking. And he creeped me out when I was a kid. And then when the wholesale slaughter in that freaking diner happens, like that scared the hell out of me. And then just the events that continuously occur throughout this film, like left a lasting impression on me as a child. So Job and his and and his sister Sarah are the only ones that aren't converted. He yep. sees his dad die in that opening scene, and he talks about he narrates right. He talks about how he went to church with his dad, and then the other children went after church. They went to go get milkshakes. Um, probably I'm more familiar on this because I just watched it recently. Yep, so did and, I actually. Oh yeah, nice. And uh, and then that massacre occurs, and it makes sense that. Um, Isaac is played by a small person because he doesn't he his delivery of lines are too adult yeah. to be a child to be honest with you. Yeah, like um, if that was a child actor pulling those lines off that would have like been pretty impressive. It it would have been. Like there's some pretty heavy just the just the delivery that I guess you could say. Um and I think it's interesting that 3 years later like I don't know if you know this but the couple's driving through on October 31st. Oh, I did not realize it was on yeah, the Halloween. Yeah, 1983, yeah. And you know, they, they see that one child that's trying to flee and he he gets killed and they see him and they think that they've hit him, mm-hmm. right? And I, for the longest time, like, who's that woman? Who's that woman? And I'm like, oh my God, it's Linda Hamilton. Like, I didn't put yep. it together <laughs> for a little bit that it was Linda Hamilton. And this movie has so many religious, cultish overtones to it. Oh, it really does. Like, this movie was kind of an FU to Christianity. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it so was you know and it it because there's scenes where Bert and Vicky are exploring the town and they come across these kids that are like yeah when I turn I forget what age it is like 18 they have to die yep 18 they have to sacrifice themselves they have to sacrifice the, themselves they're considered adults then right and then Bert gives this whole rant of who told you this and why and like it's challenging what they think and then they're like, go get Malachi. And every time they said Malachi, I was like, is this a science fiction fantasy film? And it's science fiction. I get that. But kind of, I guess. Well, and um, Malachi and like Isaac and, all, and Job and all those names are old uh, biblical names. Yes, very much so, right? And man, and you feel really for Job and Sarah, like trying to just survive within this really messed up life. And I couldn't, and because Sarah had the gift of the vision, which is yep. why... He, they, but I, I never got why he didn't touch Job. Was it because that was Sarah's brother and he didn't want to do anything to Sarah? Because Job didn't really have any special talents. Yeah, I think it's just uh, because they were like, I think they were the youngest kids. Okay. And I think he, they just didn't want to indoctrinate them in right away. They, no, that wasn't it because they had the young ones in there too. 
he said specifically, they're like, why don't we take care of Job and Sarah? So Malachi wanted to get rid of Job and Sarah because they were not following along with the rest well, of the Well, and they were playing games and life. stuff, which weren't yeah. allowed. And they would listen to music and play make-believe. But Sarah had vision. So yep. she could see when things were going to happen. So he kept saying, Sarah has vision. You'll leave them be. And I just assume Job got thrown in with that because he was Sarah's brother. That could be then, yeah, because I, I always just thought it was because, like, obviously with Sarah, she had the powers, but I also thought it was because they were the, like, I thought they were the youngest in the town, but I, yeah, I think you're right. I think there, there were other young kids that were involved in the cult, right? Because when, when Isaac is giving that speech and he's walking around, like, I felt like I was watching a preacher on Sunday, you know, like those really, like, tele-preachers on television. And oh, stuff yeah, televangelists. Like yes, that are like believe that they can like cure cancer if they touch you and that the evil will like that's what i felt like i was watching yeah um yeah because he does a great job and he's like so obsessed uh, sinister preacher for this Mm -hmm. uh he who walks behind the rose which by the way such a freaking creepy kick-ass name for a deity he who walks behind the rose because and and you can't see him and you kind of wonder the entire time if he's real or not. Like, if these kids are just, like, if Isaac and Malachi are just, or Isaac's just going on this, like, rant to kind of manipulate and control everybody. Like, I doubted whether it was real or not, to be honest with you. When yeah, I first... I'm... Well, in the part two, they actually brought up this uh, thing that kind of makes uh, a little bit of sense. But apparently, when corn goes bad, like, if it's not taken care of right away, it can kind of create this, like, uh especially in children, this disease that makes them hallucinate. Mm, I didn't know that. And that's kind of what they brought up in part two. And I'm going, well, that kind of like makes sense. I mean, obviously that wasn't the thing for part one, but it's, uh, it is kind of an interesting concept to think like this could be all hallucination. And they're like, you know, just thinking this, but like, also you did see like the supernatural powers of he who well, yeah, walks behind and the rose. Bert and Sarah, or Bert and um, Vicky saw it too. Yeah, and I mean, right. Isaac comes back from the dead when Malachi sacrifices him. Yes, exactly, right? And I think definitely for me, that scene and then also the kids just becoming these angry hench people and just the play on the power that someone who is manipulative and a narcissist and evil can have over a group of people and these children to go back and harm their parents and basically destroy life as they as they know it and worship and we see cults that are like this like this isn't you know not necessarily run by children but but really, like, this is something that we've seen in everyday society. And it's just really interesting that this film did it back in 1984. Yeah. Like, fascinating that, that this would have been where they went. And I don't know what um, religion debates were going on then, if there was a push against Christianity. I don't personally know Stephen King's religious preference. I know that this is based off a short story that he wrote in 1977. Um, yeah, which I guess the short story... Focused a lot more on the children. I guess he, uh, like, kind of like focused on the children before the events happen in Gatlin, where every all the adults get killed. So you get to see Isaac kind of indoctrinating everybody beforehand. Mm. So kind of like he he does like a short story build up to that. I guess from what I read, it's interesting. And you make a really good point here. What is it about these children that makes them so dangerous? I think it's about what makes anybody dangerous. It's the mob mentality. Yep, I was gonna say the mob mentality and the zealotness, yes, uh, the righteous zealots that they become for their deity. Absolutely. 
Like it's a cult that be like believe so much that or so much into what the Isaac is saying that they've yeah, they just kind of become religious zealots and it's scary. It is. And it and it really is so reflective of now. And we're just seeing it through the as we talked about that article earlier, the innocence of children being removed. And if we saw a bunch of adults doing this, we probably would look at it and be like, nah, but it, it hits harder when it's kids. Yes. And I wonder if that was done purposely. I have a feeling. And I'll say, like, this is just one of those movies that, at that time especially, was so freaking creepy. Just so good. And, and you know, when I see movies like The Omen from 1976 and Children of the Corn of 1984, I just, I just like, feel like, yeah, man, good job on you having the balls to use kids. And right. use them in a way that is really dark. Because that's fucking hard. To, like, at that time, I feel like that pulled shark value, like, we still have that shock value now. But I feel like we've become a little more desensitized to it because we've seen it more often than not. Um, but at this time, it would have been very, very unique. And like, even though we would have had the like the original Village of the Dam and some other films prior to that, I just feel like these films really began to push the envelope, personally. Oh, yeah, they definitely did. And yeah, I was probably way too young to watch this movie when it first came out. <laughs> How old were you when you watched this movie? Gosh, I'd probably say in the age range of like seven eight oh my that that would have been pretty scary for a seven or eight year old yeah i would it, it definitely uh haunted me <laughs> well we're going to be getting into that in our out of the dark segment when we talk about kids and horror movies or watching horror movies yes indeed um, we will um one I'm thing so i want to say too that uh children of the corn has always left with me the name malachi i use that constantly on so many different things like either if i'm doing a video game i'll make a character named malachi really and, yep i just that name had been stuck with me since i was a kid that's pretty awesome, actually. I think that's really cool. Yeah, like, I don't know why. Just, like, I love the sound of it, and I think just because he's that sadistic uh, sadistic killer of the group. Like, it just kind of like, oh, I have to make, like, the, any evil character I make is now going to be called Malachi. <laughs> Absolutely. I like it. That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, we can jump on into the next one, which I have a feeling Heather's going to have a lot to talk about when we yeah, get into this. <laughs> definitely. Uh, and this movie is The Good Son, Good Son from 1993. And this is an American psychological thriller film directed by Joseph Rubin and distributed by 20th Century Fox. It was written by English novelist Ian McEwen, not Ian McEwen, Ian McEwen. It stars Macaulay Culkin, Elijah Wood, Wendy Crewson, David Morse, Daniel Hugh Kelly, and Jacqueline Brooks. Now, is Daniel Hugh Kelly also in Home Alone? Uh, I don't think no, so. No, I don't think so. I just recognize that name from other movies, and I don't really know where. Yeah, because I think, because isn't he uh, the father of Elijah Wood? He is, yeah. Yeah, and I I know him from so many movies. I think he was in The Rock, and, like, he's always got these, like, bit parts that he's so recognizable. Like, you see him, and you're like, oh, that guy. That's right. That's right. Um, what I, sorry, did you read about it already? No, you. I probably just no. jumped ahead. Sorry. Yep, so I'll, I'll jump into the synopsis real quick. Yeah. Uh, Mark, a young boy who loses his mother, must stay with his extended family while his father is away on business. Mark becomes acquainted with his cousin Henry. However, the extent of Henry's depravity becomes clear when Mark sees him kill a neighbor's dog and intentionally create a traffic pileup on the highway. After a supposed mishap on an icy pond with Henry's sister Connie, Mark tries to reveal Henry's crimes before it is too late. So, and Wow. Yeah, like I, uh, I want to hear you talk about this for a second because I know this is like one of your favorites. 
It is. And by no stance, when I say favorite, do I think this is one of the best movies of all time. Right. But I do feel at the time that this movie came out, there was another movie like this called Mikey um, that talked about kind of like the evils of a child and and stuff like that. And Problem Child did it too in more of a funny way. Um, But what I liked about The Good Son is that they took Macaulay Culkin that was hot off Home Alone 1990, Home Alone 2, and then threw him in this. Yes. And now this movie, watching it as a 37-year-old adult, I realized what a horrible actor Macaulay Culkin was. And he only had one character, which is why he probably didn't do too much uh, besides My Girl, This, and the Home Alone movies yep. <laughs> during only, that time. The only thing I will say about him is he do- he is very good. Like He's not like a act- great actor but he does have great facial expressions. Yes, he does. Um, and like I think- You can he see has, the sinisterness coming off of his face sometimes. He is sinister, but I honestly think Elijah Wood's reaction to him is what made this movie good. Yep, 100%. I think if you, and watching this movie, I had a lot more respect for Elijah Wood as a child actor than I realized I did back in the day. Um yeah, cause, I'm not sure if you want to add anything. I, yeah, I, I was going to say, because, yeah, Elijah Wood, though, like, he's become one of my favorite actors out there. I just love him now as an adult. And, like, yeah, like, seeing where, like, kind of the beginning, because I think maybe Indian in the Cupboard was the first movie he was in. Well, he was also in a movie called The War with Kevin Costner. Oh, okay. Um, I remember seeing that one. We could probably just do a quick Google search of him and figure out what else he was in. If you want to do that, I'll talk yeah. about my uh, I'll do that my, right my love for the good son because I could go on for a long time about this. I just feel this movie took childhood and really removed the mask of innocence. You know, even, you know, I was joking. I was watching this with um, a friend of mine and we, and there's a part where uh, Macaulay Culkin's climbing up to get to his treehouse, and it's so long. Like the this treehouse is up in like the middle of fucking nowhere. Never would happen now in 2020. No one would have their treehouse up in that high. Becky's treehouse wasn't anywhere near that in the movie Becky. Um, yeah, no kidding. And he slips, and he's holding him, and he goes, "If I dropped you, do you think you could fly?" Now it's a very cheesy line, but it's a very suspenseful moment. And when he kills the dog and he says, I didn't mean to, it was an accident. Like the delivery of the lines were painful when he would do that stuff, but you can see the evil progressing. So he's going to go shoot a cat. He doesn't shoot the cat. Then he eventually kills and shoots the dog. He does, he drops a dummy and causes a pile up on the highway. He, the part where his sister and him go down to the pond and throughout this whole thing, he's driving Mark crazy because Mark's beginning to see this and he's afraid. So he's saying things like, why would I ever hurt my sister? I love her so much. And they go to the pond and he's swinging her around and swinging her around. Now, I don't know how realistic that another 11-year-old kid would be allowed to take a six-year-old sister out skating, but this was 1993, so I'm going to forgive it because people were made more relaxed back then. Right. Um, (laughs) I don't think that would happen now. And I don't necessarily think it shouldn't happen now. I just think it wouldn't. Right. Um, and she slides onto the ice and that kind of that scene when they like break through and he's holding his hand out and she's trying to grab for it and he's doing nothing to kind of grab for her and you put it together that he killed his baby brother like it's just a really really good build-up and Elijah Wood becoming more and more stressed out and there were parts with the parents where I'm like why won't you believe Mark why aren't you believing Mark like I was getting mad at the tv 
because I felt so bad for Elijah Wood and for it to pull that kind of emotion from me. I, I, I thank Elijah Wood for that. Not for, not Macaulay Culkin. Um, yeah. And speaking Elijah- of Elijah Wood, I did find some of his first okay. movies. Um, I'm guessing he had some just like really small, tiny bit parts, like be like just kind of extra stuff. But apparently he was in back to the future. Part two is a boy playing video games, uh, internal affairs, child in the night, Avalon, uh, paradise radio flyer. I think radio flyer was his big one. Mm. Like, I actually remember seeing that when I was a kid. But, yeah, like, Adventures of Huck Finn, The Witness. And, yeah, it looks like Indian in the Cupboard was further on. Wow. He's definitely had a career, and he's definitely the better actor. Like, hands down, he, in this film, was really, really well cast. And him and Macaulay Culkin got along, you know, as as actors well. But it was really him that carried it. His reactions yeah. is what made you buy into how evil Macaulay Culkin was. Yep, and a lot of, uh, one thing I like about this, like, with everything that Macaulay Culkin's character Henry is doing, like, you know, Mark's trying to tell everybody, but they're believing, like, because Macaulay Culkin was good at just going, to be, or, like, Henry was good at just, you know, manipulating and, like, telling his parents, like, things that, or, no, when he goes to Elijah Wood's character and he was just like, uh, what, do you think I would poison my family with the food? And just kind of, like, leaving this thought in mm-hmm. Mark's head, and then Mark all of a sudden freaks out and starts just throwing everything down the garbage disposal and uh, Henry walks in and goes, uh, you guys might want to come into the kitchen and see what uh, Mark is doing. And so he's just like, he's good at planting these seeds. On- well, he's a gaslighter, right? He's yeah. a narcissist, psychopath, gaslighter. So he's very, he was written very well. Yeah, um, just not the performance was not. But the, the performance was no different than Home Alone. Yeah. Like, I'll be honest. It, it To me, it was like, and this is watching it as an adult, right? And, you know, none of the performances are out of, like, this is The Good Son 1993, but I know Stance, am I going to sit here and be like, Academy Award winning film? Right. <laughs> you know, I just really enjoyed the back and forth between these two 11-year-old boys and how Mark is becoming more and more consumed and that scene at the cliff where, I, and this scene always sticks out in my mind where she's, the mother's holding on to the cliff after Macaulay Culkin or Henry's pushed her off He's about to throw the boulder and Mark shows up just in time. Yep. And they're fighting and the mom eventually climbs up. Though that's funny. When you fall, you can see the cord. Like you can see the, the rope. Oh, holding. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. If you watch it, you can see the rope holding her. But anyway, that's neither here, uh, neither here nor the there. One part I do have to critique here was like her climbing up that cliff. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like, there's no way you, you would have slipped and fell to your death. Because there's no way anybody could have like climbed what she was trying to climb. And the time that she climbed, too. Like, yeah. she's not a fucking experienced mountain climber. And she was wearing right. heels and shit, right? But, you know, suspension of disbelief, I guess, for that scene. Yeah, for sure. Because then we wouldn't get up to the point where she's holding on each, you know, she has. And I remember that scene being much more dramatic. And I could have swore that Macaulay Culkin says, just drop him, Mom. It's fine. Like, you can just drop him. I could have swore when I saw it before he said something like that. But he didn't. didn't- I say, didn't he say something like, Mom, I need your other hand. I'm slipping or something like that. Yeah. Isn't that what he was saying? Yeah, he says that. But I could have swore there was something where he said, like, something. he looked at her and he was like, Mom, just let him go. I'm your son. Right. That or, would have been an effective line if he did. Now, maybe they took it out. I don't know. But I'll put that up to the listeners. I could have swore. Because I watched this movie as a kid a lot. And I could have swore there was something else he said, which led to her dropping him. Yeah. And choosing Elijah Woods or, or Mark's character and pulling him up. Um, right, but it sure took the dad and the fucking like doctor a long time to get there. Like Mark runs out of the room and they're wrestling around on that 
or and he makes it to where Henry is, and they're wrestling around on the cliffs. There, she has enough time to climb it up, and they're still fighting. And the other two people haven't fucking showed up yet. Like, right? <laughs> how slow is his dad? Like, dude can't like get his ass in gear. You know, like those yet again suspension of disbelief. Um, as we could pick apart all these movies with oh for sure and and stuff like that. But I just feel like. To take Macaulay Culkin at the height of his stardom and to put him in an antagonist role like that was just very clever and smart. And it really, to me, started to show the acting chops further that Elijah Wood had. Yeah. Yeah, because Elijah Wood, to this day, like, you can tell who had a continued career in movies and, like, progressed. Because, I mean, we're talking about a kid that ended up being freaking Frodo in Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. And now runs his own freaking uh, horror movie label, SpectreVision. Right, and and is a great horror movie. I wonder if he'll ever remake The Good Son. That would be uh, interesting if he did. Like, I had, I would have a good faith because, like, his company makes some really good freaking movies. You know, and I'm not someone that believes this movie has to be remade, but I think it'd be interesting if they did it now. Yeah, because uh, it is there definitely a very much a product of the '90s, but maybe it is something that could be remade. Um, and I don't believe that anything could have helped Henry. I think he was a psychopath and he needed to be institutionalized. Like this kid killed a little baby, um, killed his baby brother. Like that's fucked up. Like I think this yeah. kid needed treatment and needed to be put away. Um, but I think he was just very good at manipulating and being a narcissist. And his mom made the right call. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right. I completely am on board with you on that one. Right. So, all right, we'll move on. Uh, we'll move on to the next one. All right. So the next film is. Village of the Damned by John Carpenter from 1995. It's an American science fiction horror film directed by my all-time favorite director, John Carpenter, and starring Christopher Reeve, Kirstie Alley, Linda Kozlowski, Michael Perret, Mark Hamill, and Meredith Salinger. It is a remake of the 1960 film of the same name, which is in turn based on the book from 1957, The Midwitch Cuckoos by John Wyndham. Ten months after the small California town of Midwich was struck by a mysterious event during which everyone in the village felt unconscious at once, ten local women give birth on the same day. As the unsettling, unsettlingly calm and unemotional children grow at an abnormally fast rate, it becomes clear that they can read adults' minds and force people to harm themselves. Local doctor Alan Chaffee and federal agent Susan Verner must team up to battle the alien children. Now, this was a movie I had seen a long time ago, and I just thought it was okay, but I loved mm-hmm. the story to it. Mm-hmm. And rewatching it now, I like the movie better. Uh, but man, like the literally in that description, the unemotional children. Like, yeah, these kids show no emotion, and that is so freaking creepy. They are like of a hive mind. Absolutely. Fun fact the young lady that plays the head of them. Went on to star in True Blood. Really? Yeah. yeah. Who did she play in True Blood? Did oh, say? I don't know. I just saw that she was. I never watched the shows, but she went I was on. Like, to I was a big True fan Blood. of that series. Um, but she went on to True Blood because I thought she looked familiar. Um, so she did go on and have a little bit of a television career after this movie. Um, I thought a it has a time capsule with Christopher Reeve being in it. Oh, for sure. Like that's incredible back, to begin. That's with. like back before he was paralyzed. Yeah. Which yeah, um, like, I think this was his last film before that happened. Actually, that's that's crazy. Um, the unplanned pregnancy. What I never got is all these people got knocked up and they were all like, "All right," and they all kept the baby because nothing was wrong with the babies. But then the babies were all really weird, and they kind of just became these kids' bitches. 
yep. the whole town well, I mean, just bowed to these kids. <laughs> and I do love because because like the whole entire time I'm thinking to myself like, okay, when these women get pregnant, why are they just gonna all of a sudden keep the baby? Like I understand a couple of them keeping the babies, but why would all of them do it? And then when the government agency lady comes in, Kirsty Kirsty Alley's character comes in and tells them like, you know, the government will help you guys out if you guys decide to keep them and stuff like that. I'm going, oh, that makes so much more sense now. Mm, so they wanted to study them, right? Yeah, and they wanted to see what was going on. And But yeah, these children made everybody their bitch. Yeah, like they just ran this town and they walked around in their little like twosomes, except for poor David, who uh, yeah, did not have, his. lost his, his mate or his sister or whoever it was supposed to be. And you do have some empathy for David and he does appear to be able to feel some emotion. He only engages in a couple of harming. Um, he yeah. actually doesn't engage in all of them. Uh, he harms Christy Alley's character. He assists in that. He's a willing participant in that. But that's also because she's kind of... Well, it's because <laughs> she she was using them and then he finds out that, you know, her or his mate, sister, or whatever, was put in a freaking glass jar just like to be experimented yes. on. And right. I think that was just kind of like oh, you did this? Okay, I got it. Like, I got to get my revenge on you for this. Because you see that he mourns, and maybe that's where he was able to form emotion, is because he continued to mourn the death of his other half. You know, maybe that's why he was able to build empathy. But when these kids are little babies, they're actually pretty cute. Um, But when they start, like, forcing their mom's hand in hot, boiled water, which, watching that scene, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to do it. Oh my gosh, she's going to do it. Oh my gosh, she just did it. And like her leaving her arm in there and screaming, as cheesy as it is, it really did kind of creep me out a little bit that these kids have this power over you to just make you do whatever they feel like making you do. Yeah, because I mean, like, even that, that I think you were talking about, especially like the, you know, the one neighbor shows up and she pulls her arm out of there and then like she runs back trying to shove her hand back into it because it's like she's still being forced and controlled. And that's, yeah, to like completely lose your ability to like keep yourself from harming yourself, that's scary. It is scary. And it's not the best movie in the entire planet. I would never walk out of this movie and be like, oh man, best film ever made. But it's just interesting how these kids, you know, that are technically an alien race are manipulating. And she and the and the lead girl has this monologue with Christopher Reed that is actually pretty good for like a twelve year old young. Oh lady. yeah. Like the exchange that she has back and forth with him is pretty good. And at the end, how he manages to keep a brick wall and like uh, make it... waterfalls and stuff like that. Yeah. Like get into his mind. You're like the ocean is what he thinks yeah. of and, and it blocks her. It, it was really, really well done. And I love the bluntness of how like they're telling everyone how it's going down throughout the entire time. I don't know if the situation could have been handled differently, except if maybe there was, um, some termination of the pregnancies once they knew they were alien babies, but obviously the government wanted to experiment and that's why. Um, and, and they were, they were incapable of feeling and could manipulate. They were the, like the classic narcissists on steroids. Absolutely. Really. And well, the only thing I was wondering, especially with the situation, like could have been handled differently is a lot of these parents, like, especially in that third act and or the, just the adults in general, they know what these children are capable of, but yeah. yet they still go out as a mad mob, like 
bearing torches and shit like that. Like, what are you going to do? Like, it's if true. anything, you would have should have just left the fucking town and let them go and just found a different way to take care of them. Because you going up to them with uh, torches isn't going to do shit with these kids that have more power than you. And then you have, like, the like entire police force showing up, and it's like, okay, you guys should have known they can control your mind and make you do shit. This is not going to go very well for you. Absolutely <laughs> like, not. Like, they just made one mistake after another. Like, and, you know, finally the, you know, they, Christy Alley's character was like, all right, we need to get the hell out of here. The government's going to be coming in and doing their own way of taking care of She's this. like, I need to get back to Cheers. The bar's waiting for me. <laughs> right. I don't need to be <laughs> in this movie anymore. <laughs> God, I'm so done. <laughs> but yeah, I'm with you right there. It's like, it's a good movie, but it's not like, oh my God, this is amazing. But like, I do love I, the I'm concept. glad I watched it, but it was a little cheese cheese. It wasn't John oh, Carpenter's yeah. best. It looked like a made for TV movie. It was hard to believe that he did the thing and did this. And then, oh, I know, know right? I mean? Like you've or seen Halloween that with a lot of his later career like movies, you're just kind of like, what? What, what right? happened here, bud? But it's not a horrible movie. It's just it's it is what it is. Yeah. Um. But one of the better, one of the better kids movies that I think has come out is going to be our next one. Oh yes, and that is Case Thirty Nine from two thousand and nine, which is an American supernatural horror film directed by Christian Alvart and starring Renee Zellweger, Jordel Ferland. Bradley Cooper, and Ian McShane. In her many years as a social worker, Emily Jenkins thinks she has been seen it all until she meets 10-year-old Lilith and the girl's cruel parents. When the parents try to harm the child, Emily assumes custody of Lilith while looking for a foster family. However, she soon finds out that dark forces surround the seemingly innocent child, and the more she tries to protect Lilith, the, hor the more the horrors she encounters. And Yep, you were telling me about this one and yeah. this movie, and I had never seen it. Uh, so I gave this a watch last Sunday, I believe. And wow, this was really good. I really enjoyed this. And once again, it's kind of another child being able to play with your mind and manipulate you from like, and, and pretty much control you. Absolutely. Like, just the way Lilith does this, like it's almost all through phone calls, like just calling the people that she dislikes and like pretty much turning their worst fears against them. And wow, that is a great concept. And you find out more that Lilith is definitely more than just a child. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think Renee Selwiger, and I'm not a huge Renee Selwiger fan, but Neither I think I. she fucking nailed this role. Like yeah, this was really a good performance on her end for sure. And you really go from, you know, her parents try to cook her. They try to cook Lilith yep. and you don't understand why. And, you know, you find out later that, you know, it was due to her being a demon is what you find out. But, yep. and like she gets out and, and Bradley Cooper's the therapist and how she manipulates Bradley Cooper and how she manipulates at the school when Renee Selberger is going to pick her up and she thinks oh, that yeah. she's going to do something to one of those other little girls. Like, and my favorite scene of this, and the reason why I like it so much is the car scene. The car scene, they're driving and she's going to go take care of Lilith somehow. And Lilith, before she kills anybody, she makes them hallucinate something. And, she, and Renee Selberger hallucinates back to her mother. And, um, 
the scene where her mother's driving her and I think they're in a car accident. Like that's what happened to Renelia Selwiger when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. And this, this demon puts her back there and she realizes that it's not real. Yes. And she, she's there. She's like, this isn't real. This isn't real. And then all of a sudden she comes out of it and the demon and the little girl's face is like, what the fuck? And Renelia Selwiger delivers this line to her. And I forget what it is, oh. but it, she fucking nails it. Like, oh my God. Like, because yeah, I loved that reaction from Lilith because she's just like, all of a sudden, Lilith looks scared. Like, I think it was oh, like, fuck. are you scared or something like that? It was something. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it was. She's like, now it's my turn to scare you or something. Yeah, and it's just like, you're like, fuck yeah, right? Because finally, someone has outsmarted this, this little girl that you perceive as a little girl that's taken advantage of everyone. And I just love that scene. Like, honestly, yeah, I that probably is really because of that scene and her being like, fuck you, little girl. <laughs> it's, it's so, and the acting of that little girl is pretty fucking good. I, I was just about to say the acting from that girl, because she plays so sweet and innocent and just so adorable and cute. But then when she, you get her like separated from Renee Zellweger's character and like when Bradley Cooper's talking to her as the therapist is trying to get to know her. Like she just, I don't know, like just switches like that, and is just like this evil master manipulator. And Absolutely. I, I was impressed by her performance, and I have to say, I do love uh, how how a lot of this shit happens. Is she's calling these people up on the phones, and you just hear like the static or whispering from her end, and yes. it's, that's what kind of like triggers everything that happens to these people. And I love when she does that to uh, Bradley Cooper's character after she finds out that. He is terrified of hornets. And that's right. Oh my god, that scene, like it's cheesy because like the CGI is not the best. The CGI is is not the best. But man, that is kind of freaky. Just all of a sudden, like pulling out a freaking hornet from your ear. And then more keep coming out and more. And then they start coming from everywhere. It's like, oh my God. Like that is a horrible like way to go out. Absolutely. And like and what I love about it is that they're all controlled by this mind fuck and that Renee Selwiger's character is the only one that basically is like, is able to fight it. Yeah. And she's a social worker, you know, she has multiple cases and it's just, it ties so well into that. And it's a good, I don't know if you want to call it a possession or demon. Like, I don't know exactly what realm this would fall in. I just think it uses the kid as a, you're right as this innocent little creature so so peaceful like so um approachable and manipulates everything like it's just so good. Yeah, she was like a great uh like a great character like an evil villain and also great at like making it look like she was just like this sweet little innocent child. Like I I was just so blown away by her performance in this film. Amazing. Like, the acting in general in this movie. And then, yeah, you had Ian McShane as the police officer that, like, the police sergeant that was helping her, too. And, man, like, the acting in this, like, you had some real big-name characters in this movie. Oh, absolutely. There was some huge big characters in this movie. Um, so if people hadn't checked it out, I know we kind of spoiled it a little bit. Um, yeah, I guess if, you know <laughs> I don't know. If you're seeing the show notes or you need to tell someone to watch it, tell someone to watch this movie. It is so freaking good. Yeah, um, I highly it, recommend it's this. It's a great and- story. Yeah, and I was saying we always like you know mention that we're going to spoil these films. Like I know, and, but and I, some people don't care if they have stuff spoiled and they're able to go back and watch it. Um, this one though, the coming up, we definitely want to put this right out here right now. We will be spoiling this movie. Yes. 
And this movie that we are going to talk about, you want me to just jump right into this? Please do. All right. So the next movie we are going to be talking about is Becky from 2020. And this is whatever, American action thriller. No, this is Canadian film. It is. It is. Now, mind you, it's American production company that's filmed in Burlington, Ontario, Canada. But yeah, I just had to give that shout out because like when you found all that research out, I'm like, yeah, like that's not just American. Well, I've been to spots where this was filmed. Right. I'll say this is like in your backyard. (laughs) Like when I walk through, um, like when she's running through the forest and shit, like that's Mount Nemo near me. So (laughs) I've been there. The, the third, the, the, the house is filmed near, um, off, off of that area, off of a pond. Like I know where that area is. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll get back into this, but I just had to point that out. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's not completely accurate. And I wanted to give the Canadian love here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's an action thriller film directed by Jonathan Millett and Mary or Carrie Mermian from a screenplay by Nick Morris, uh, Lane Skye and Ruka Skye. It stars Lulu Wilson, Kevin James and Joel McHale. Uh, the synopsis is spunky and rebellious Becky tries to reconnect with her father during a weekend getaway at a lakefront house. But the trip soon takes a turn for the worst when convicts on the run, led by the merciless Dominic, suddenly invade the home. And all right, right off the bat, I gotta say, what a fun freaking movie this is. Like, yeah, it's like it's, Home Alone on steroids. Yeah, like, um, I think like this is like one of those once again, kind of a home invasion gone wrong in a way because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, Dominic and his gang, uh, Dominic played by Kevin James, just mm-hmm. shows up at this house trying to find this item that uh, you really don't know what it's for, but he's looking for the specific key that was hidden in this home, which mm-hmm. also I have no idea how the key was placed there in the first place. But yeah, it's like Joe McHale's playing the father of Becky and they're going there to meet with Joe McHale's new uh, girlfriend. Or not new girlfriend, but girlfriend and her son, and that's when you know he find Be- Becky finds out they're planning on getting married and all this. She gets pissed off and goes and runs to her little treehouse slash cabin out in the middle of the woods in this up north lodge. And yeah, when all the events happen, Becky is already gone, like in this place, just kind of staying away from the family. And this is when the revenge takes place because like her father ends up getting killed, and if her father didn't get killed. I don't think this film would have played out the way it did. No, but because he's killed, she loses her fucking mind. Yes, this is... Oh my god, like, she is just... I'm trying to think of the word. uh, She is a budding sociopath. Yes. And, oh my god, the way... like This is the one film on our list that like, technically she's not evil, she is getting revenge, but this is also a child that instantly like loses her innocence with her father dying well and you kind of wonder if at what point it's revenge and then what point it's murder because she eventually murders somebody who shows her mercy yes who a couple of times tried to kind of alleviate the situation who clearly didn't want to be there and actually saves her yes exactly like there i think there is a like point that there was already this child was already partly damaged I I think she was a sociopath, actually, to be honest with you. And I think that she'll probably kill again. I think this was just a situation that she killed because it was appropriate. 
But even during the interview and how she's behaving and, and eating the candy and, you know, it's a very manipulative thing. So even though she is painted as the protagonist throughout the film, which she is, um, when it gets to that ending scene and she kills somebody who technically probably could have been shown mercy, um, some people would argue that, no, she was just cleaning fucking house and she had every right to do that. And some people could argue that... Um, no, she's a psychopath, right? Like, it could go either way, to be quite honest. Yeah, I, I could have understood if that was the character that actually was the one that killed her father. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't. He was there during that incident. But, like, no, like, that, like, yeah, you are right. Like, she is a sociopath. And, yeah, this was just a way for her to do this and get away with it. And, like, yeah, you said right in the end when they're doing that interview with her, no emotion. None. She and she's like no acting like the victim. And they're like, and the social worker's like, oh, it'd be okay. And the cop's like, look, dude, like she fucking slashed this guy with pencil crayons in his eye and beat the shit out of him. He she ran over someone with a motor, like of a boat. Yeah. Like she yeah. and she, she used a lawnmower on freaking Kevin James. <laughs> yeah, like she she did some pretty violent very violent. She removed Kevin James' eye. She stabbed him in the eye with that key. Yep. You know, like, there was a lot of really violent shit that goes beyond self-defense. Yes. Like, like, she took it above and beyond and re- just reveled in it. Yeah, you could argue it was grief as well from her mom dying of cancer. And then, you know, because she doesn't harm her, what would have been stepmom and stepbrother. She technically saves them. Um, so perhaps maybe there is some humanity there she doesn't just peace off and leave them she waits with them when the cops come yeah um so yeah and you know i really think the potential girlfriend stepmom actually is a really good actress in this too oh yeah like, like, there's that one line lines. you loved oh my gosh of like she is the most spiteful girl and you've killed both of her parents good luck like yes. it's just how <laughs> she delivers it is really good and or like the part where Kevin James walking by and she sees Becky and she's like, like, what the fuck is this for to get him distracted? And then little girl and little kid boy is like, mommy, we're not supposed to swear. And she's like, well, sometimes I need people are just so stupid that you have to ask them what the fuck is this for? Like, it's yes. just really, <laughs> and Kevin James did fine. You know, I don't think he made her break the movie. Honestly, he was, he was fine. Yeah. Um, but I think for her, it was, it was like home alone, only way, way darker and yes. a much more though home alone is pretty dark it's just that they don't get killed even though through all those traps they should have died at some point oh absolutely like you know what i mean <laughs> um but it's it's a great 2020 film it's a great is she a protagonist is she an antagonist and really it's up to you the viewer how you feel at the end yep because yeah i remember when you first watched this movie like like when she started just like kicking ass you're just going oh fuck yes because you didn't like her at first like when the movie first started you're like oh this yeah it's like they're like this child's a brat and then when she like Mm -hmm. snaps like that you're like oh fuck yes (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yeah this movie is just like a great uh horror film like it's just a lot of fun and like but man these kills that she performs on these people is just so brutal and you can tell she's reveling in it Mm -hmm. which just makes this like that fits our category like absolutely and I did notice kind of a trend here in a way. Like three of these uh, six movies for sure had like kids that could control or manipulate the situation with their minds where Becky is just a straight up killer. 
Well, and she's smart, so she can manipulate some things with her mind. She's not stupid. But I think a lot of people under and every single film we see underestimation because they're children. Yeah. And you know that's where kids really come through. If we go look at our back to our beginning article, it's the innocence and not expecting that to come from a kid. Right. Exactly. And the, and this one like the, the I think this movie with the whole uh, with Becky with the line the innocence lost. Mm-hmm. really fits that movie. Because, mm. like, cool. right after that, like, yep, she's not the innocent child anymore. Yeah. I think that's a really valid point. And I think all these movies we talked about today are worth a watch. Some are dramatically better than others. Um, but, yeah, definitely. I, I don't think kids in horror is going anywhere. I think we're going to see more kids in horror. And, and we could probably do a whole other segment on kids in horror. Like, we could talk about The Exorcist, for crying out loud, and Possession. Possession of the... Uh, uh, the Possession of Emily Rose, I think it's called. Um, exorcism of Emily Rose. The Exorcism of Emily Rose. We could talk about Sinister. We could talk about Insidious. Like, there's yep. so many movies that we could talk Cooties. about with kids. Cooties. Like, zombie children. So, yeah. I, we have a list. So I think eventually we will get through other ones. But for today, we just wanted to look at some of our favorite, favorite Antigonists uh, that we wanted to talk about. Doesn't mean that there's not other Antigonists out there that are kids. These yep. are just the ones that came to mind for us. Yep, exactly. So yeah, that'll that'll be uh, wrapping up our main topic. Which yeah, I, this was a uh, definitely a fun one because there are so many to choose from, and it'll be fun to revisit this in a different way sometime down the road. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess we can jump on into our out of the dark segment, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm pretty much titling it as "What is a good age to introduce children to horror." And I kind of wanted to read an article before I jump into the question that we'll discuss about ourselves. But uh, I found this article from uh, offspringlifehacker.com. And it is how to introduce your kids to horror movies. They actually gave a breakdown of like the ages of what certain types of movies would be appropriate. So they started off with ages five to nine, five to nine. And this writer says, I forgot to get the author's name. I'm sorry. But uh, I think five to seven is a good time to introduce gentle horror to kids. But your mileage may vary. Here are a few movie suggestions geared to that age range featuring horror elements that aren't too unnerving, but aren't totally neutered either. So for ages five to nine, this writer suggested The Nightmare Before Christmas, Coraline, Monsters Incorporated, and Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, I could totally see that. Like those are like, especially I would say also I would add in the monster squad if you were like seven or older, but I think they're kind of more focused on like the newer style children horror films. Yeah. And I think it depends on your kid. Like I'm sure we have people listening to this that are like, oh, whatever, man, I watched the exorcist at age six or I watched nightmare on Elm street. Like majority of the podcasters I know started watching horror movies when they were like five. Right. Right. And they saw Halloween. At like five or six. And I think for for me personally, I was a very scared child. And and Neil Lemoy from NFW has made a very funny video once. Um, I used to be terrified of this Ruffles commercial with a vampire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he fapped it. <laughs> you know, I was a really scared kid. I also was scared of shit that happened on Sesame Street. Um, so it's ironic now that I really like horror movies as much as I do because I, I definitely was very, very afraid for a long period of time. So I think it depends on your kid. Like, obviously, we're giving guidelines. I think for someone like me, 
the movies that you suggested would have been fine. I would also argue Hocus Pocus, uh, The Witches yep. um, are, you know, great entry-level horror movies. I'm trying to think of some other ones that have come out this year that might be other ones. Like some for, for some of the Annabelle movies, um, I know Brandon Orlick from Exploding Heads, his nephew one of his first movies was the Annabelle, one of the Annabelle films, like Annabelle Creations, I think it was. So that might be a really good fit. Yet again, like you got to know your kid. The most recent Child's Play movie could be okay. Um, I think the older ones, like the 80s ones are so cheesy that kids would be like <laughs> laughing through it. Um, right. Another podcaster, Kenneth from Kill the Cast, talked about his, his uh, daughter watching Evil Dead and laughing through it. You know, like, so, like, everybody's different, but I think the guideline that you gave there is is probably a safe guideline to go by, and if kids don't seem upset, and really how you're going to find out if they have nightmares, you know, if they have issues going to bed, they can't separate from reality and fantasy. Right, and right? that's actually that's one of the thing. things the article just was going to talk on, is oh. that they have a hard time, younger kids can have a hard time telling reality and fantasy apart. And so do most adults sometimes. That is true. But they said I th uh, the reason they gave the animated movies is because the animation helps make it clear that none of the scary things they see are actually happening, which that makes a good point. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that can be very valid for sure. And then I was saying then uh, they go to age nine and 10. And it says when your little fright freak hits their ninth birthday, you can probably start breaking out more mature live action movies with horror elements and the list of movies they give. Oh, this makes me smile. But it's Ghostbusters, Beetlejuice, and Gremlins. I'd also put Critters in here. Um, yeah, Critters. I think Critters you can even watch younger, to be honest with you. Even Gremlins, I think you can watch younger. It's not that Gremlins, scary. yes. But I was like, Critters kind of scared me when I was younger, when I first seen it. Well, you're a bitch, Gremlins. so that's Gremlins why. didn't scare me at all. Oh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. You know which one is actually kind of scary is The Blob, 1988. <laughs> that's actually kind of like... Well, yeah, yeah. That one you would not be scary. showing. That one you would have to kind of judge your child by that point. I like, can see by 10, 11, 12 being okay with The Blob. Um, you know, it's really going to depend because even now for me, there's movies that stick with me. Um. I've been told by partners I've been with that like I've sat through and watched Final Destination. I've sat through and watched The Woman in Black or whatever and been like, all right, bedtime, gone to bed. And they're like creeped out and can't go to sleep, right? So right. I think like, and the thing is for us is we get more desensitized. Yes. So ghost stories really bother me though. So something like Insidious is very tough for me because of the ghost element of it, though the mm -hmm. later ones aren't that scary. Um, and that I would never watch just before bedtime. Like there's certain movies I can't watch before I go to bed because they just bother me so much. Yep. And for me, I don't think I have anything that does that to me. Yeah. I Midsommar think... does. Well, no, Midsommar I could fall asleep to. It's like, no, the one that, boring. the one that, uh, no. Dave Z, did you hear that? Oh Scott my God. Crawford doesn't like Midsommar. Oh my God. No, Dave Z knows better than that. <laughs> but no, I will say the last movie that truly had an effect on me as an adult would have been uh, like where I was actually just completely creeped out was uh, Hereditary. Really? You know, Hereditary didn't do that to me. Yeah, for some reason, that one just unnerved me so much. Like I, after I finished watching it in the theater, because I did a double feature with Upgrade and Hereditary at the theater, I just said, screw it. I'm just going to watch both these movies by myself at the theater tonight, have a Friday night fun time. And Hereditary was the last movie I'd seen. and Or no, it was the first movie I'd seen. And then Upgrade 
after I left and sat in my car, I had to sit there for a few minutes because even though I watched Upgrade last, everything that was going on in my mind from Hereditary, I was just like, fuck. That mm. one, like I just sat there for a minute, just like kind of just like put it all together in my head and I'm going, holy shit. And like driving the home the whole entire time, I'm going, I haven't felt this unnerved in a while. Mm. Like, I don't know. It's just something about that film that just gets under my skin. The Final Destination movies never bothered you? No. The thought that you could predict your death and do nothing to avoid it? No, the movies themselves never had that effect. Well, what about the concept? The concept is like, well, actually, I was going to say the concept is, yeah, I I don't, I don't find those scary though. uh, Like the scene with part two with the expressway that left a lingering effect on me, just like, I'm, like I think it did to everybody. You drive behind a log truck, you don't think twice. Well, that's I'm, that's exactly what I was just saying. That mm-hmm. scene in part two with a log truck is one of those scenes where I think any horror movie fan that's seen that movie avoids the log truck. It's true. It's just you've seen what happens, like it, what could have, what could very you know small chance happen. But, but it, it happened, could. Yeah. I think I told you the story that I had a piece of uh, plywood hit my yes. car on the highway. Yes, you did. Right? So it, it, and it caved in my windshield. <laughs> and to this day, I have yet to understand how I kept my car in control and pulled over. Probably just because I wasn't caved in completely, but it was pretty scary. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that. Yeah, it was, it was shocking, actually. So to give the audience an idea of what happened, I was driving on a highway here called the 403. And I was going about, I don't know, I was going about 100 kilometers. That would probably be about 60 miles. And, um, I was just driving and all of a sudden I didn't see it, but I heard it. I heard something that sounded like an explosion, like an atomic bomb went off and I closed my eyes. I had sunglasses on and I opened them and I was covered in plexiglass. And what had happened was a um, piece of plywood had come flying off a truck somewhere and had embedded it in my windshield and it hadn't broke the windshield completely, but what it had done is it had shattered it enough that plexiglass had fallen on me. I was obviously shocked at the time. Somehow I managed to keep the car in control and I got off on the next exit, which was immediately there. Um, I was a little bit cut and bleeding, but nothing too bad. And I called my husband, my ex-husband now, but my husband at the time in tears, uh, obviously. Right. <laughs> and he came with a, a tow truck and I, I couldn't really explain what was going on. I was trying to clean myself off of the glass. And I don't know how long I sat there for because I was in a lot of shock. I probably should have called the cops, but I didn't because they probably need to know that somebody is driving around with like plywood free. Right. And uh, the tow truck driver showed up. My ex-husband showed up. They both looked at the car and they looked at me. And my ex said, how did you get off the highway? You were going 100 kilometers an hour at least. How, how did you do that? And I said, I don't know how I did that. And luckily, That's my like, parents never saw it because we went to a repair shop near my parents' house, um, and I came and saw them. And I just had to get cut; like I was cut, right? So I had to clean myself up. Um, but yeah, it was scary. Yeah, yeah that is an experience <laughs> I don't think I would ever want to go through, and that is insane. It, like it's insane, and you know, I look back on it now, and I probably really should have reported it. I can't believe I didn't. Um, but. Yeah. So yeah, like now it wasn't logs. It was one piece of plywood that came flying. Thank God I kept in control because it would have been scary as the pileup that would have happened for mm-hmm. me losing control. Right. Um, but yeah, like, so, <laughs> you know, shit can happen on the highway. I don't know if the log truck would happen, but people don't secure shit on their cars. Like, it's what happened to me. Right. And that's why right. that occurred. So bottom line here, Friday nightmares, secure shit on your trucks. 
don't have to flying <laughs> and hitting people and stuff. But anyway, that was a completely random story. Hopefully, people found it interesting at least. Right. Um, we are gonna jump into the ages ten to thirteen category here. Uh, and by the Scott's time you're decided, kidding, I'm done talking. Was that? Scott's decided I'm done talking. Scott. <laughs> well, we're gonna have plenty more to talk about after I know, I'm I finish just being the article. Funny. So. I'm just being <laughs> Uh, but by the time your kid is a tween, he or she is already for or is ready for the uncut stuff. Movies designed to deliver the jolts and fear and creeping dread that horror fans of all ages crave. Personally, I'm squeamish about introducing children to very violent movies, so the choices below are non-brutal PG and PG-13 flicks, but they're still adult scary. And the movies he chose was The Poltergeist, The Ring, and The Conjuring. So, like, the supernatural jump scare horror films are more like what he's suggesting for the age group for this one like because uh well poltergeist has some gore to it but then uh ages 13 and up teenager horror fans generally don't need parents nitpicking the age pre appropriateness of movies but they might need help finding the really good stuff but left to their own devices Many kids will stick with the slick but disposable team scream movie playing at the local multiplex. Those are awesome, but if your kid is a budding terror cinephile, try introducing them to more artistically challenging examples of the genre like The Shining, Get Out, The Innocence, It Follows, Rosemary's Baby, and The Witch. And yeah, I'd say... Is any, is any honestly 13-year-old going to sit through Rosemary's Baby? I was just gonna say the shining Rosemary's Baby and like, the Witch are not gonna be ones they'll want to sit. Maybe through. the they, Witch, maybe not, the Witch. I wouldn't even. I, I'm saying. I'm thinking that one. You got to be like able to focus, like because I. I think it's just like that uh, discussion that you and I had about Gretel and Hansel, like the yeah. kids there. That it, that's kind of like what I feel with the Witch. It's like they're gonna be bored. I feel like The Witch, though, is a pretty much more a clearer plot than Guttle and Hansel. I feel like more happens in The Witch. Oh, it does, but it's right? like, I think it's just kind of like that slow buildup, and like ages 13 to 15, I'm thinking slow, hor slow burn horror is not like the best age. They want something a lot more action-packed. I'd say yeah. 16 and up would be better for the slow burn stuff. I would say Final Destination or anything by Bloomhouse. Yes. <laughs> Bloomhouse. <laughs> You know, these kids are watching Truth or Dare. No, the average 13-year-old is not going to watch The Fucking Shining. I'm sorry. Like, no. even I appreciate The Shining, but it's a long-ass fucking movie. And Rosemary's Baby, excellent film, but fuck does it drag. Like, yes. you know, it's, you have to be, and yes, I'm not saying there's not a 13-year-old out there that wouldn't appreciate it. Absolutely. Every kid is different, you know, for sure. But I think, like, I don't know. I And this is maybe going into a different realm. I think sometimes older horror fans or like people that like watch these movies when, and praise them don't get mad when young people don't like them. <laughs> right, exactly, because like, you got to be a certain age to appreciate some of these films. And for one, a lot of the younger generation is not going to like love these older films like we did because we grew well, up with these. Well, they did not. Or, you know what? I didn't love it either. Okay, like, let's do some real talk here. How long is Halloween? Like, the original Halloween. How long does it half. take till anything happens? About third act. <laughs> yeah. Almost. Right? So, like, if I was 13 watching the fucking original Halloween, I would love to go back in time and be like, oh, yeah, 13-year-old Heather would definitely grasp the concepts of how great that slow burn is. But probably not. 
and like we yeah. act like that's a fucking big deal right and, well, that and was i was surprised. and that gives me a thing that i was gonna say the first time i ever watched halloween i was 15 years old or no i was 16 years old over my buddy tim's house with a bunch of friends and we rented a bunch of horror movies halloween was one that i rented i watched it was bored to tears and mm-hmm. turned it off and mm-hmm. didn't rewatch it until I would say about the age of 19 or 20. And when I watched it then, I fucking loved it. So I hope everyone heard Scott say he loves it because I don't want to lose all of our listeners. <laughs> Just so we're clear, Scott finally watched Halloween. I don't want anyone to get upset. Um, I watched it. Yep, okay, because I'm only 21 now. So yes, I did watch it finally. <laughs> um, I watched Halloween at 15 or 16 and I loved it. Oh, but wow. I would have loved it at 13. There's no fucking way, (laughs) you know, and I, I feel like, um, there's certain movies like it follows is more modern. And yes, of course I love it follows, but it has teenagers going through teenager angst and it's shit that they can relate to. Yes, exactly. Um, I think American werewolf in London, great film, but I'll be honest. I think that's a film that you got to be older to appreciate. Yep because of just the experiences of it too, right? Like there's certain films, I appreciate Rosemary's Baby more, being a woman that could have a child and understanding that time frame better yep. now than I ever could have, even in my 20s. Absolutely. Yeah, because like, well, in hell, I didn't watch Rosemary's Baby till last year for the first time. When you, but you're only 21. I know, right? <laughs> That's why I started it young. But no, right. um. I would say, like, for stuff from the 80s, like, uh, movies that I would recommend to, like, you know, 13 to the 16 age group would be, like, The Thing, The Blob, uh, Friday 13th series, Nightmare on Elm Street, no, stuff not like the that. the first one. The first Friday the 13th? Yeah. No. No, first one, no, because like, that's... A... Depending on the kid, right? But, yeah. like, I don't know. And I feel like that's a series that Friday the 13th Part 4 is a great kid movie yes like it really is like it's it moves quick you you're invested because there's a kid in it you Mm -hmm. know it's a lot of fun even the halloween movies i i think four five and four and five are good for kids yeah well that's another thing i was gonna bring up too is like that was why i think i was bored with the first halloween at my age Mm. because i had watched uh four or I watched three, four, and five. And that's why I never had an issue with part three because I watched part three first. So with no Michael Myers, I had no issue with that. And then four, five, and uh, I never did see part six. I still have not seen part six to this day, not realizing I've never seen it till like I heard about it. I'm like, oh, but yeah, four you and five. You've seen Paul Rudd in Halloween nope. part six. Oh. I've seen you, everything. Buster Rhymes? I unfortunately seen everything else. Just not that one for some I like reason. That I like one with Buster Rhymes. I think it's funny. Oh, God, that movie's so painful. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I think it's such a dumb movie. It's hilarious. <laughs> oh, it's so painful. Isn't it resur- so... not, is it Resurrection? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> oh, God, it's so... It and they're, like, fighting shit. Oh, my God, it's such fucking jokes. Like, it's just so fucking stupid. But, um, yeah, I think that's why uh, I thought the first movie was kind of boring, though, was because, uh, you know, three and four were a little more faster action-paced. They were already had a kid involved, so I could relate. Mm. And then when I got older, I was just like, oh, this isn't as fast as the other movies got like it didn't jump right into the action it was a slow unsettling burn but yeah it's like I, it really all depends on your child like the what like because uh the question i was going to ask is uh at what age did you start watching horror um 
That wasn't the question I wanted to answer yet. I had other things I wanted to say. Oh, so I'm not well, really prepared for it. Oh. Um, <laughs> honestly, I I don't think I really watched any real scary movies till I was maybe 11 or 12. Oh, nice. I don't, I didn't watch 80s. Like I, I remember Scream as probably one of the scariest ones I've ever watched. It was around the time I started going on roller coasters. I kind of just like, and you know, I started doing cocaine. Just kidding. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm just kidding everybody. I've never done cocaine. I don't even know what it looks like in person. Um, but I, yeah, like I think the good son probably would have been the closest or the witches. Um, Hocus Pocus, like stuff like that. And then I just went balls deep. I went, I went back to the 80 films and I enjoyed the 80s movies. Like the first time I watched Halloween, I loved it. I, I loved Black Christmas. I I liked Rosemary's Baby. I I've liked a lot, and I've gone back to rewatch Rosemary's Baby as an adult and appreciated it more than I did as a, as a teenager. And I don't know, like I I I think the one thing that has changed for me is that I don't enjoy the films that I used to enjoy so much. Like I used to think Urban Legends and Urban Legends Two were the shit. Right. And then I like rewatched them recently, and I was like, oh my god. Yeah. So isn't that good? Like, it's good for nostalgia, but it's not actually good. Right. And I find the films that I'm beginning to appreciate more now are the ones that are a little bit more heavy dialogue-wise that have grown on me. So, like, example, I probably wouldn't go – I've watched Halloween 4 and 5 recently because I do enjoy the story going into those two. But I like Halloween uh, 1, 2, and 3 more. Yep, same here. Like Right? I actually don't ever watch four or five or anything beyond that now. It's just one, two, and three for me because maybe H two O and twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, everything else, because Halloween's not been one of my favorite franchises. <gasps> yeah, like I like the I like just like specific movies from that franchise. I don't have favorite franchises. We, you know, it's funny. I was talking to another podcaster that was teasing me about the name of this podcast. And was like, well, why did you guys choose Friday Nightmares? And I said, because, like, it sounded cool. Scott likes Friday the 13th, and I, I always get labeled that I love fucking Freddy. And I do. I enjoy that series. But I also enjoy the Friday the 13th series. I enjoy Hellraiser. I enjoy the Final Destination series. Like, there's so many franchises that I like. Yeah. Like, I really, you know, probably not Puppet Master will be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not going to happen. Um, but, like, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't. The more I watch more movies, I don't really have a favorite because really you can pick apart any of those franchises with issues. Yeah. I probably like the Nightmare one the best because I like Freddy Krueger the best. Yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, that's, that is pretty much where I am at now, like, watching as many movies as I have. I always say Friday the 13th is my favorite franchise, but if I, like, actually broke it down, like, there's a bunch of franchises that I really enjoy. It just depends on my mood. Like, I am a huge fan of the uh, Child's Play Chucky movie, uh, franchise. Yep. Like it, and with those, like, I think that's uh, way more... Each movie is way more consistent, like, with a rating than, like, say, Friday the 13th is. I think it's really important, and I think you really highlighted this, too, about franchises and, and the ratings and what we've grown to love. Like, we're kind of just talking about what you know, has given us that warm feeling yeah. of comfort. And I think for getting kids into horror, you got to know your kid. 
and you have to know what bothers them. And some of them, they're just going to learn on their own accord. Like they're going to tell you that they're fine watching something and then have nightmares about it. Yep. I still have movies that have, you know, got to me in my dreams and I have no problem admitting that. Like I once had a dream that Freddy Krueger like was real. And like I said, you're not really said, yes, I am. And I almost like felt him grab my arm. And then I woke up. It was like the craziest shit ever. Wow. Obviously, like there was nothing on my arm. Like clearly I'm not fucking right. Heather. I can't. Right. But like it was it it felt real. It felt real. And that's all that really matters, right? Is that in that moment it, I was scared. So right. I you know, I don't know. And I and I feel like sometimes we want to force kids to like movies just because we like them. And I think that's a really detriment thing that horror fans do. I, I honestly believe that. I oh, think it's it really is. important that we just let people have their own taste. And if yep, they're it's fine to introduce like, them and if yeah. they're scared then or like they don't have to like the same classics you do or they don't have to yeah. like the same modern films you do like i love it follows it follows is probably my one of my favorite movies of all time right now but i walk out and be like and like someone said i don't really like it follows or it has these plot holes in it or whatever and me be like no that's that true like of course it does it just reaches me the most and it's right. a preference right so i don't know and uh one thing i was gonna bring up too like since i had asked you the question i'll answer the question as well for me like what, when I started watching horror. No, no one wants to know about your answer. I, I know, right? No one cares. <laughs> but I've, I, I, I care. I care enough to talk about it. <laughs> Do My... you want me to ask you so we can like act like I cared? Sure, why not? Scott, I really want to know. When did you start watching horror? Well, Heather, to tell you the truth, it was way back in, let's say, 1986. You got a young Scotty in his pajama pants. Just sitting there. Okay, that, enough of that bullshit. All right. So, anyways, are, 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 where is this going, Scott? <laughs> uh, no, I, I would say I was about the age of five or six when I first watched my first horror film. So it would have been like eighty six, eighty seven, and I just remember my stepdad worked for a video distribution company at the time, and he would bring home all these movies like on VHS and. They'd be ones they'd just take off the shelves that, of the rental stores that he was supplying, and they just didn't need them anymore. So he'd bring them home and add them to our collection. Well, he brought home the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, you know, minus a couple of the newer ones at that point. And at that age, I was watching the movies by the looks of the cover, not, not in any particular order. So, so you were judging it on the cover art. Yes, I was. And uh, I think the first one of the Friday or the Nightmare on Elm Street movies I watched was Friday the 13th, part four, just because I love mm. the cover art. Yeah, that's fair. And then I think for Friday the 13th, I watched, uh, I think it was also part four. And yeah, just I, I grew up watching the uh, Freddy and Jason at, at that young of an age. They didn't scare me, but then I forget if it was like the next year or whatever but my mom had seen me watching these movies and she's like are you scared I'm like oh no these don't scare me mom I got all a little little child cocky with her and she's going do you want to be scared i'm like yeah but nothing's gonna scare me but you can you could try so she had me watch the exorcist and i'll tell you what that movie bored the hell out of me but when that final like when everything started really hitting the fan in that movie i just I couldn't handle it and I had to walk out of the room. <laughs> I was terrified. What? Well, I was like, you know, seven or eight. 
Yeah, that's fair. Like, I'm surprised your mom showed that to you. Yeah, I think she was just like, oh, he's getting cocky. And she knew my, like, she knew that I understood what was real, what wasn't, and knew that I'd be able to handle it. I don't and think she ever would have showed you that movie now. No, she would not. Not, not the way she is now. <laughs> no, she would not. Um, and then also, and I think this would have been at the age of nine years old, I had snuck downstairs late at night while my parents were still up watching TV, and... Wayne had, my stepdad had just brought home Hellraiser for the, like, it just came out on VHS and him and my mom were watching it. And all I remember is I peeked around the corner from downstairs because like where our TV was, like you had to kind of look around a corner and there'd be the living room. And my parents were watching the TV and I'm just peeking around the corner watching the screen. And it's the scene with uh, Frank building himself up from the little droplets of blood in the attic. Mm -hmm. So like one of the most gory scenes in that movie. And I just, Stared, stared at that and just like awe and horror and I couldn't look away until after it was done and then I just said nope ran right back upstairs and just had and you nightmares. Guys, these are not for your eyes. <laughs> right. Like I literally had nightmares that entire night and I didn't actually sit down to watch Hellraiser for several more years because I was just so scared of it after that. And now you have a pinhead in your basement. Yes I do and I talk to him constantly. And I think sometimes also we embrace horror movies as a way of safely conquering our fears. Yes. It's a safe way. To, we talked about this way back in episode one and um, that allows us that safe escape. Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think like the whole children with horror movie stuff is really dependent on yet again, your kid, you've shared some stories. I've shared some stories. Um, we've had a little bit of rant about older movies um yeah i think it'd be interesting for people to share on their page if if they let their kids watch horror movies and what the experience I, has been yep i was just about to ask that like uh or say that like yeah like please feel free to share on our page like like tim what, davis how, yes. how much do you torture your children right Especially exactly and uh also for anyone that doesn't have kids or if you want to talk about it uh when were what were the first uh, horror films you've seen when you were a kid that's i kind of be curious to hear everybody's thoughts on these because I know everybody is different and every child is different. So it all and really Scott depends. just started watching horror movies. So he needs to get some suggestions. Oh, oh wait. Well, I thought that was you from what Brandon says. Yeah, it was me. It's been a big year for me. It's been, you, you're, you're growing. Taking tequila shots, watching horror movies. Just, just learning all sorts of new things. Right, maybe I'll even lose my virginity this year. Who knows? Oh, that's a possibility. <laughs> 2020 is a magical year, Heather. It's a magical year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've, uh, we beat this to death. I don't know. Do you? Yeah, I think this one is uh, another one that we can put in the books. It is. Uh, I think we've pretty much covered everything we wanted to talk about on this episode. Now, we have some very special guests coming up next time. Um, yes, we do. And we're really excited for it. So we'll, uh, we'll save it, but we'll just say our next episode will be different um, than previous episodes. Like It will follow a similar format, but it will be a little bit different because we will be uh, doing our first guest spots um which is really exciting actually yes it's and it's gonna probably be absolutely hilarious and a lot of fun it will be it's fortunately scott will be there so the fun might go down a little bit oh, but... you... <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny i'm so tired and i don't know how you're feeling are you feeling how are you feeling uh, i'm still alive that's about as far as i can tell you at this moment yeah, like scott and i were like oh it's gonna be so great to do this episode hungover <laughs> <laughs> oh it's been a day three Let's hours later 
Um, but no, it's been, it's been a slice and I'm glad that we got to cover this. I'm really glad I got to talk about some of my favorite films. Um, I'm glad I was able to ask Scott a question and act like I cared about what his <laughs> You're such a smart ass. Like I went on a rant. He's like, I love it. I love him so much. Cause he'll be like, he's so polite where I would be like, Hey Scott, it's time for me to answer the question too. He's like, well, since I asked you the question, I am also going to answer the question. <laughs> And I'm like, I was being nice and just waiting for you to get on, go on your ramble, and just let it all out. I'm just tired, Scott. I'm just tired. I know, I know I'm you tired. are. Where's that line from? I'm tired. So tired. I'm tired of the world. I'm tired of the hate. Oh. I'm tired of the hating of remakes. Yeah, right. I'm tired. Oh, let's not go up that hill again. We don't want to go down that road. We'll, that we'll save that for a remake episode when we do one of those. <laughs> oh boy, imagine. The Heather <laughs> ranting episode. Um, but as always, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we recently found out we have listeners in the UK, Brazil, uh, across the States, Canada. Was there anywhere else that you found? Yeah, Australia, obviously. Australia, yeah, Tim Davis. Um, yep. <laughs> our one, our one Australian listener. <laughs> Yeah, I'll say, Luffy, I guess when he decides to listen. Yeah. Um, anyway, and, and for anybody that listens in other parts of the world, if you want to comment on our Facebook page, we'll shout you out. Uh, we really appreciate that. When Scott and I started this, I was just hopeful that we would get five listeners that weren't our friends. So right. we definitely <laughs> uh, succeeded past that. So, you know, 2020 has been a rough year for a lot of people, but I've been really excited that I've been able to share this journey with all of you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. This is a hobby for Scott and I, and the fact that you even bother listening to us is, is real flattery. So yes. thank you. I, yes. Thank you for all, from the bottom of my heart. Um, and before we want to, before we let you go, I did want to drop this. Like I forgot to mention this on last episode, mm-hmm. but, uh, there is a new thing out there that, uh, Mr. Smoke Show Crawford is doing. Uh, as many people know, I wrote write and wrote for pop horror and we had a side part where i did a lot of video game articles for pop horror when they started diving into that well it just so happens that we have written a lot of articles for video games over the past two years or so that we started doing it that my team and i have just been given our own website and we are now i am now the main editor along with devin shea on the popgaming.com and that uh so go ahead if you're into any type of video games board games card games tabletop games please go ahead and check our website out sex games, we, sex games yes 50 shades of gray <laughs> yes heather 50 shades of crawford 50 shades of smoke show yeah but yeah i am very uh happy that i'm taking this role on it's gonna be a lot more work but i am very proud to be able to like run this website and get these new articles out there and we got a small team right now like so it's gonna be like not as much content but hopefully we'll get our team growing our website keeps getting better as the days go on something new gets added uh when i first started this like there was only seven articles on the website so it just looked so empty and naked and then apparently mm. last night while I was out partying it up, uh, <laughs> someone... His minions were working. Well, nope, none of my minions were working, but the higher up that created this website for us found a way to transfer all the video game articles that we written for Pop Horror over to Pop Gaming. So now we've got like this nice, thick catalog full of news, video game reviews, all sorts of stuff. So I am just 
yeah, please go give that site some love. We also have a Pop Gaming Facebook page. Please go there and give it a like. Uh, I'll be sharing all of our news articles. Um, I'll probably start sharing some of the news articles and reviews on our uh, Friday Nightmares page just to kind of help promote and build this website. But uh, yeah, if you could, just go there, give us some love. And uh, we also have a YouTube channel as well that you can check out uh, where we do like video game playthroughs and stuff. And hopefully we'll have more when social like when we figure out what else we're going to do. Pretty exciting, Scott. Yeah, I, I'm very happy to be a part of this now. I'm very happy for you. Um, Scott is a phenomenal writer. If you've ever had a chance to read any of his articles, he well, thank uh, you. is beyond detailed with his words. Um, just so you ladies know out there, <laughs> he can write you some love poems that would just make you beg for his warm caress. Austin cry. It would. He'd be like, my lady, it has been a fortnight since our last visit. My loins ache for your love, your touch. I am not half full man without your calm and cool embrace, lady. Forever you know yours. me so well. Smoke show Crawford. I'd be like, are we going to bang? There's a I kind of miss you. <laughs> Stop talking, let's bang. I also don't. <laughs> you want to go get some food after we bang? How about some drinks? Yum yum drinks? Sweet. <laughs> yum yum drinks. <laughs> and yum yum food. That's how it rolls. Yum yum drinks and yum yum foods. But in all joking aside, um, please support Scott's um, website. And if you play video games, like, man, like, I feel like horror nerds and video games just kind of go hand in hand. So they do. There's no reason why you should not be going to support him. And I don't do anything, so you don't have to worry about supporting me for anything. <laughs> Besides listening to this podcast, that's it. So, <laughs> all you got to do. <laughs> just show us some love on our show. Yeah, just show us some love on the show and don't hate me for making fun of Scott. And that's good. You know, for Scott, <laughs> you might have to try a little bit harder because he actually has shit that he does on the side. So. <laughs> Scott's a way bigger name in horror podcasting than I am. Oh, like, please. You, I don't know if anyone knows. He was part of the horror drunks and they used to have these really cool shirts and he was by podcast at the cemetery. I am just a freshman to his senior. So he is, he is the one that will be like, oh, yeah, it's that movie. I still I won't forget. What was that stupid movie where I was like, the Thanksgiving one, bloody something. Oh, uh, Blood Rage. And you were like, oh, yes, Shadow Woods or something. Yeah, Nightmare at <laughs> Shadow Woods. Oh, fuck. I got to punch you in the face if you were in person. <laughs> so annoying. Oh, my God. You love it and you know it. Oh, my God. Do I? You yeah. do. You keep bringing yourself back to the show to do this stuff. So, I mean, I know. Like, I can't believe it's been 17 episodes. Like, how are exploding heads up to 118? (laughs) Like, how have they done it? Like, I don't get it. I want to murder you some days, and it's only been (laughs) 17 episodes. (laughs) And the crazy thing is, eight more episodes, if we can uh, do it without killing each other, we will have hit the record that the horror drunks hit. Oh, I think we'll surpass that. Yeah, I think we're going to be going for a while. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know for how long, but I sure will surpass that. Um, you know, keep our expectations low until right. Scott finds a fair maiden that he has to commit his time to. And um, a fair maiden of the woods. Yeah. So, mm. ladies, remember, Smoke Show Crawford. You can find him on our Facebook page. He's down to hey. pound. Hey there, babies. He's 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 doing this look where. He either looks like he has something in his eye or he's trying to be sexy. So I'll <laughs> let you imagine <laughs> how that plays out. <laughs> oh, he's kissing the camera. 
So it's very, very sensual. I feel like I'm like the worst described video ever. Uh, <laughs> it's like the worst. So you're, so he's sticking his tongue between fingers as his cat walks behind him. So uh, it's like one of his many cats because he has five, um, like a hoarder. So <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, I have no cat. I was actually at my parents' place today and my parents were like, there's a cat. Do you think it's homeless? And this cat was in the backyard. My parents live in like a very affluent area. So I'm pretty fucking sure it's not homeless. And right. there's like this beautiful black skinny cat because it's outdoors cat, right? And I go outside, I'm like, you're a kitty. And it looked at me like, fuck you, bitch. And took off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if Scott was here, that cat would have come over. <laughs> and Scott would have cats oh god no more cats <laughs> no more they run this house i'm just lucky to live here you know like that beyonce song who runs the world girls you're like who runs world cats who runs my world cats <laughs> cats run my life <laughs> that's too funny i'm gonna find a way to make up that song all right <laughs> next time we will have some special guests from down under who we are very excited to have on the show. And we will be covering a different kind of topic, actually, something that's a little not political or social or reflective of characters necessarily. Um, and hopefully you guys like it. So it's going to be a fun one. Just say, Scotty. Ah, until next time, unpleasant dreams. See ya. <laughs> Thank you.